Skytalkers and Blast Points in part two of the most ambitious crossover bet in history. We're talking all about our favorite moments from The Phantom Menace just in time for the 20th anniversary. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and we are so excited because we have two very special guests here today, Jason and Gabe from Blast Points Podcast. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> hello. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say hello first. Sorry. <laughs> How are you guys doing? <laughs> We're doing? All right. We're doing all right. We're doing great. We're doing good. We're good. Yeah. Well, it's funny because right before we started recording, we were just talking about mishaps and like internet connections and plugged in microphones for the pop when we were podcasting. And for a second, I was like, oh no, did the, did the internet really just go <laughs> Well, I just want to say if anyone's listening and not familiar with Blast Points podcast, Jason and Gabe put on an amazing show every Tuesday and it is so good. It's definitely one of my favorite podcasts, if not my favorite podcast. I mm-hmm. never miss an episode on Tuesday. They're so funny and they have the best audio clips ever, like the best the editors best. in this podcasting business, I swear, guys. It's insane. And it's insane. they cover, they're pretty similar to us in the way that they cover like a topic or a theme in each episode. And that's something that we have in common and it, I love listening to them and they're great. So I'm so happy that they're here. Well, Thank you. We, yeah, we're we're we so happy to be here. I, I I love listening to Sky Talkers every week too, and uh, yeah, that's we're that's very nice. It. Thank you so yes. much. <laughs> they actually had us on their show um, a couple months ago, actually, when we did part one of the most ambitious crossover event in history. So if you haven't <laughs> listened to that, you definitely should. Um, and when I first wrote out these show notes, I put in it was a couple weeks ago, and Charlotte was like. Caitlin, it was much longer than that. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what celebration does to you. Exactly. There's like before celebration and after celebration. Yeah. <laughs> we're living in the after no celebration and it, it's a lot. We're, we're in the in-between. We're after celebration, but before the rise of Skywalker. So it's, yeah. it's a weird time. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. Time stands still. <laughs> we're in the world between worlds right now. Yeah. We're looking yeah, out into the portal. Blessed. <laughs> You're speaking our language. (laughs) What a good place to be. (laughs) Um, We actually got to meet you guys at Celebration, which was so fun. Um, And I feel like we kept running into you guys like all throughout Celebration. It was really great. And you both are so tall that we could always pick you out of the crowd. We were like, oh, there are Jason and Gabe. <laughs> so true. See us a mile away. Pretty short. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, what's funny is the first time we met you guys, we were it was like our first hour on the show floor, and you guys had to stand in front of us and like literally shout our names to be like, "Hello, notice us," and we're like, "Oh, oh, hello." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> up above the clouds, look up here. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, my favorite thing was that we were all standing there, and you you both were on like a mission, just walking right past us. And I was like, "Oh, hey!" Like, just you almost to me, like, "Excuse me, got to get around you people." And I was like, "Hi, <laughs> talkers." Hey. I, when I tell you that everyone did that to us, like the first day and a half, because we're like children <laughs> at a candy store, we were just like couldn't like focus on any one thing, let alone like people in front of us. <laughs> So true. It was really fun, though. But um, 
what was you guys' favorite part from Celebration? Just real fast before we dive in. Oh, honestly, it was meeting people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, you guys had the same experience as we did. It was just, it was fun to walk around and run into people that actually enjoy the show mm-hmm. and getting to talk to people, especially people that maybe you know on Twitter or on Facebook you've met, but to actually see real people and talk to them was was a lot of fun. As much fun as all the Star Wars stuff was, just meeting people was great. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. It was really quite an experience. We saw you guys at the podcast meetup on Saturday night and you had you <laughs> brought best. snacks. They came prepared, guys. <laughs> they what had were they called again? The, the Mount- Mountain Dew back cupcakes. cupcakes. <laughs> and what were the other ones? S- s'more offs. Yes, yeah, more. Off. That's what I had. I had a s'more off. It was really good. Yes, <laughs> so good. <laughs> the snacks were abundant. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so it was great. Yeah, we got to give a shout out to uh, to the Kathy who is in Chicago. She she does uh, recipes for our, our website, and she brought the snacks, and she she elevated the party to the next level. So there was little yeah, the the, the Mountain Dewback cupcakes have little flags in them with a picture of a Dewback <laughs> and the Blast Points logo and. Yeah, it was it was really great going around the podcaster meetup and being like Mountain Dew cupcakes to other Star Wars podcasters. And the the wide range of reactions was was, was really great. Well, it's so fun because it was like you guys were hosting and you're like order, yeah. <laughs> Just walking around with Mountain Dew cupcakes and s'mores. It that was, was so great. Everybody loves snacks, so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Especially like when you're eating basically nothing at a celebration. Right. It was so great. Right. Such a joy. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. So much fun. Yeah. It was a great night. Um, and I can't wait. You guys are going to be in Anaheim, right? Yes. That's, that's the plan. That's the plan. <laughs> that's the talk. That's, yeah, we're, we're working on that. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm just convincing you. I'm like, yes, you're coming. Yeah. It's yeah, happening. It's nice. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a question mark. It's a yes. Yeah. We really want to go. We'll leave it at that. So. My I, my family is sick of me bringing it up. Where it's like there's no, they keep reminding me there's not even dates yet for it, and I'm like, yeah, but you know, Anaheim next year, and it's like 2020. Got to got to yeah. got to bang out those vacation days. <laughs> got to make sure that works out with the calendar. <laughs> like you know, you just got back from Chicago a month ago. It's like okay. I know. I'm I just know. gonna. I'm just gonna block out sometime between April and August. <laughs> <laughs> Don't plan don't anything when. in between those days. Yeah. <laughs> Every just, weekend I, is filled. <laughs> I'm so case. looking forward to being able to take off the day after celebration from work because I just started a new job, so I didn't have any vacation time yet. So I had to like make up those hours before and after celebration and I thought I was going to die. And oh. <laughs> I'm so excited for next year whenever it is because I'll have vacation and I can be like I'm taking a like a day to just recuperate and just sleep and like bask in my post celebration like sorrow and happiness because you feel both of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> well, I got home from Chicago at like one two in the morning or something and i like i was like i i'm so exhausted on every level but i just could not sleep Mm -hmm. that's exactly how i was too my flight actually got canceled out of chicago and i had to stay one extra um basically another day like my flight wasn't until 4 p.m the next day and i couldn't sleep i was so tired i was getting sick i was so sad (laughs) 
And I was like, I don't know. I just, my my brain was on such a Star Wars high. And that's what happens at Star Wars Celebration. It's like, Mm -hmm. you don't put it down and you can't put it down. (laughs) Just too good. We've got to go back. We've yeah. got to go back. <laughs> so you're coming. So you're coming. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> no longer if, a question mark. <laughs> if for any reason we're not there, we will be, don't talk to us those four days or five days. Or <laughs> we'll be Fair. Furious. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll be there. We'll all be there. It'll be so much fun. Well, a fun thing that we, we well, you guys were in the room too, that we all got to do was be at the, uh, the Phantom Menace 20th anniversary panel, which we agree was a really great way to celebrate the Phantom Menace. Like I can't believe that panel even existed. There was a celebration at at celebration for the Phantom Menace. And I'm excited to talk about that today. Um, not just the panel, but the Phantom Menace in general. So when we were on Blast Points back in February, a couple months ago, not a couple weeks ago, um, we did a 20 questions style of show uh, where we were asking each other questions. And we kind of thought we'd do a similar thing, but we're going to do 20 of our favorite things about The Phantom Menace since it is Phantom Menace Month, the 20th anniversary. Blast Points, Jason and Gabe are the Phantom Menace experts, um, so it seems <laughs> fitting. <laughs> it's very fitting. And they have a very they're doing the Phantom Menace year. I can't believe I didn't mention that. Over on Blast Points, they are doing the Phantom Menace year, the ambitious project of each month covering something to do with the Phantom Menace. And it is so fun. What are you guys it's doing? Amazing. What did you do this month? I actually can't remember now. Oh, the miniatures and model- models. The yes. Miniatures. Yes. So How good. could I forget? Yes. So good. <laughs> Listening to George Lucas do real, not real with a Sharpie, like in my earphones. <laughs> was like a transcendent experience. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was amazing. That's I told Jason that that was that was my favorite part of the whole episode. It's like nothing that we did. It was just that the listening to the marker sound and him saying real, not real. Yeah. yeah. It was like I mean the whole episode was great, but start you started and ended the episode with that clip. <laughs> but it wasn't just that clip. They looped it a, a ton. And yeah. It was yes. hypnotizing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really was. <laughs> You saw like a sound machine, like white noise at night. <laughs> <laughs> the, the real, not real. Yeah. yeah. Real, not real. Fall asleep yeah, too. Yeah. It's a, gl- a glimpse into George Lucas's mind. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> that's, that's what it feels like. <laughs> so who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. Okay. So we are going to start with our 20 favorite things about The Phantom Menace. And since you guys are our guests, we will let you guys go first with one of your top 10 favorite things from The Phantom Menace. Gabe, go ahead. All right. I'm going to start with this one because I think – I don't know if, if Jason agrees with this one, but I made sure it was on the list anyway. <laughs> Is uh, The Nemodians are – I love them. I don't know why. I always have. So many people can't stand them, but I can't get enough. Newt Gunray, Rune Hako, all those just bumbling, goofy, big-hatted aliens. I can't get enough. Um, yeah, so that that's my number number one on the list here. I love that. I love that that's the number one. <laughs> I love how they continue to appear in the Clone Wars, and they're just still, like, super bothersome. Yeah. I was kind of shook because I was just watching the beginning, the amazing documentary. And I didn't realize that the people inside of that costume were British. So I was hearing the the, the lines in this British accent. It just did not fit. And I'm, I'm just still thinking about it. <laughs> Imagine if they had a British accent. <laughs> Exaggerated dialogue. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. But I think those actors did do the voices eventually. So the the goofy oh, accent really? was the same person. Yeah. Just not doing their normal wow. voice, but doing. I yeah. didn't know that. Oh, That's why you're on the show. I'm pretty yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <they're> the actors. <laughs> exactly. I think, I think the Nemoidans are a great way to start off this list. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> and they kind of start off the Phantom Menace. It's one of the first ridiculous things you see in that movie where you're kind of like, oh, oh, so this is how it's going to be. <laughs> and I, I'm going to bring something up because I started to do this for our show and I, we haven't got to it yet, but I'm going to, I'm going to give you a taste here is I was trying to scientifically figure out why Phantom Menace is so awesome. So I went, and figured out, I was calling it Minutes to Monsters, how long from the Lucasfilm logo it takes before an alien shows up and either speaks in subtitles or in English. And Phantom Menace wins by a long shot because one minute and 90 seconds into the movie, Newt Gunray shows up and says something on that screen. That's why it's so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so it's scientifically right proven. away. Yeah, I'm just letting like you know what you're in for. Yes. No, I have it written down. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. But I keep it I keep it close by just in case. <laughs> like put it in your wallet. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> just in case. Do you, do you have the other like the other films? Like who's got the like the worst minutes? Oh to yes, monster the ratio? worst is actually a New Hope. That doesn't surprise me. Four. That makes sense. Yeah, because we spend we're we're so much with R two and C three PO in the beginning. Yeah. There's no subtitles. Like walking and walking. It's not Togrito. Yeah. 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 And, and technically the droids, I wasn't counting droids. Mm. So Yeah, they're not monsters. They're right. droids. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but I was just thinking about <laughs> subtitles and imagine what, what subtitles we'd get for R2-D2. Amazing. I do all the time. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> would, get, would, would the first alien dialogue in A New Hope, though, be the Jawas? Because they're... Mm. Yes. Or Sand yes. People? Jawas. Well, Sam people, Jawas, Jawas. Sam people don't really talk. Yeah, Jawas. Yeah, if the Jawas were subtitled. Um, oh, you know what? I actually, oh, I didn't write the time. I do have a note there with Jawas with a question mark. <laughs> Hotly debated topic. <laughs> just, just, yeah. We're here to like bounce ideas off of, really refine like your research process. Yeah. <laughs> what you count, what you don't count. <laughs> okay. Well, my first thing about the top 10 things I love about The Phantom Menace is Oda Gunga does not get enough praise and it is the coolest place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I remember it was because Phantom Menace is the first Star Wars movie I saw in my basement when I was 13 with Charlotte and it was the first thing about that movie that I was like, whoa, this is so fun to look at and it's just like always captured my imagination and I just think it's like it's so cool looking and like the bubbles and how they swim underneath and you just like enter I don't know. It's so I really cool. like it. I wish we saw more of it. Me too. Me too. And I think that the design is just so unique and it feels to me it feels extremely sci-fi or fantastical, some bridge in between that is the beauty of Star Wars, but it feels so different than everything that we had seen, I guess, in the original trilogy. So, I thought that that would that was always like this wonderful welcome into the prequels of how weird and wild they are. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a neat thing too that it's like it's one of the first times in the movie where you're definitely not in a real place or a real place you're used to, yeah. and it's kind of relishing in like, yeah, in the old movies we went into a forest because that's what we did. Well, here we're somewhere that does not exist on Earth. This is a completely alien location. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I, I, I feel like there's definitely material I could find out more about Odaganga and like the society um, <laughs> within, but it is really interesting, and I'd like to dive into it a little bit more. You want to dive in? Oh my god, <laughs> I went there. Fish around for details. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, yes. I tried to think of another one, like go swimming for more answers, yeah. but it didn't really work. Well, after that scene, you were hooked, I guess. <laughs> Why did I think of that? Okay, what is your number two? I have got to say the pre-release hype for The Phantom Menace. And living through that, that the rumors... The gossip, the excitement, and especially, I think, the month before the movie came out where Phantom Menace Mania was all-consuming. It was everything. It was... It, you know, it's like like this weapon is your life. It's like this movie is your life. <laughs> it's just, this is everything you've got going on right now. And it really was. It was... It was and for loving Star Wars, you know, before it was it was just crazy. It was like it elevated I think at least like for Gabe and I, like our love of Star Wars to an even crazier level. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it was almost too like the way you feel at Star Wars Celebration, that seeped into the real world. And like everywhere you went, you were at Star Wars Celebration because everybody was talking about the new movie and the news was talking about the new movie. And if you went to a restaurant, there was stuff for Phantom Menace. And if you went to the store, there was stuff for Phantom Menace. It was like everywhere. It's so funny because I wasn't a huge fan of Star Wars until really Revenge of the Sith. I'd seen them. I remember I actually went to go see the Phantom Menace in the theater when I was I was five. And the the pod I know I'm sorry, I hesitate to say I'm five. Yeah. But um the pod race scene was too loud for me and I had to be carried out. And I think that's just like it's so ironic. But I do remember <laughs> The Phantom Menace being everywhere. Caitlin, do you remember this too? Like it was literally everywhere. Yeah. It was Burger King. It was mm-hmm. everywhere you turned, Pepsi. And it was like the fact that my five-year-old brain remembers that is just testament to how like at literally everywhere you turned, you saw it the is. Phantom Menace and or like the Star Wars logo everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was pretty insane. Yeah, I wasn't even like my family is not a Star Wars family at all. So the fact that I like the Burger King merchandise like is sticks out in my head. So the fact that even I have memories of it when it was not at all in my world, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> really says something. Um, okay, but I have to know though. So how does the lead up to the Phantom Menace compare to the lead up to the Force Awakens for you guys? Yeah, I have questions too. It was <laughs> it it was similar. Um, but di- it was similar but different where the phantom menace was it was the first one since return of the jedi and it was like what's this even going to be like i mean we had like the special editions as almost like preparing yourself mm-hmm. like re- like re- remember how awesome it is to see like the the blast of the star wars logo and the crawl on a movie theater screen okay now we're getting you ready so you don't die of a heart attack when the phantom menace comes it was like an appetizer (laughs) yeah (laughs) so 
but it was it, it, and I think for some some people out there I think that was part of the problem where they were comparing it to you know these past memories that can never be met of course but it was it was yeah it was the first new Star Wars story since Return of the Jedi and that was like a really big weird feeling I remember seriously being like my I, going into the Phantom Menace my biggest thing was is it going to feel like Star Wars? Because Star Wars has a very distinct feeling. And, and I think I translate that as, is it going to be weird? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? I remember going in and watching the fan mess in the theater. It, it, I think the moment where I took my shirt off was <laughs> when I like, it really dawned on me that like this movie is really weird and it's working and I'm loving it and I'm into this thing and I'm going to go see it 37 times. <laughs> I'm like, I am, I am sold on this Phantom Menace thing. But I remember having fear going into it. Like what's, what's going to happen here? Gabe, how about you? I think I, I was ready for Phantom Menace. I don't remember being worried or nervous about it. I think with Force Awakens, I had more maybe worries and nervousness because it was, mm. It was Disney now, and it was JJ, and it was it was different Star Wars, and no matter how they made it, it was going to feel a little different because it was now you know Lucas wasn't as wasn't involved and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I think with Phantom Menace, it was just I was ready, <laughs> I was ready for more Star <laughs> Wars stuff. No, so, yeah, and I think that was it was a similar thing. Yeah, I was very hesitant. I don't want to say very hesitant, but I was in like privately very <laughs> hesitant about the force awakens yeah because it's like is can it be star wars without george lucas and then yeah same thing sitting in the theater watching it as soon uh, for me it's like as soon as i saw ray sliding down that hill and the john Mu- williams music was playing and the whole thing where she's loading up her speeder i was that was the moment where i was just like yep all right sold <laughs> into it and she goes past the bird i was like double sold <laughs> i'm Ready to go with this movie. Yeah, I think that was really the big question for before The Force Awakens of like, how is this going to feel like Star Wars and how is it going to bridge that gap between Return of the Jedi when we left Return of the Jedi so long ago? And I I think that like that's really similar and it's really interesting to hear that. But the question I have is, did you guys follow any crazy rumors beforehand? Like, what was that oh, like? Uh... <laughs> Oh. Oh. Jason followed all of them, and then I think I would just get the uh, the lowdown from you, which would make it extra crazy because it would be whatever Jason read filtered through Jason, then told to me. Because <laughs> we didn't have text messages. No, and I want to say we just had internet at school, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like you mail me a letter with, <laughs> with, with scoops in it and spoilers. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would go to my my I, our, the art school I went to. We had a one computer lab that had about four computers in it with the slowest internet in the world. And I would get on there and I would get on like the force.net through Texas A&M University. This is really old. And I would print out all the spoilers. <laughs> yeah, didn't you? I didn't have t- I didn't have time to sit there and read them because I was like in between classes. So I'd print them out really quick and 
put them in my pocket and then just like sneak sneak a look. Ooh. I love the idea that you guys were like spoiler pen pals and like yeah. mailed spoilers. <laughs> well, didn't you have them in a folder or something? Like you had your little folder you would yeah. keep them all in? Yeah. Top secret. Like a, what are those binders? Yeah. Like a trapper yeah. keeper? Those like big binders? <laughs> it's like just for Star I Wars. Would, I I did no. I had a giant Phantom Menace uh, folder. It was literally like a trapper keeper, and I had all these pages, and I had a three hole puncher, and I would put them in my book, my book, and I would take my book places because people would be like, "What do you know about the new Star Wars?" And I'd be like, "Let me go get my book." <laughs> did you have it like organized by like date and like topic or anything like that? Oh, kind of. It was it was a very haphazard time. I. I I would like bring it to bars and stuff, like <laughs> as like a conversation starter. I wish you it still was, had these. You should have brought them to the age. podcast meetup, yeah. right? Oh, uh, I wish. Oh, oh my god, that would have been amazing. Remind me before Anaheim, and we'll we'll bring I'll bring some, yeah, some history. I just remember visiting you one weekend at your apartment, and you were just like, I think you talked to me for an hour, just telling me all the stuff. And I remember you talking about because it was the first time I heard the name Darth Sidious. And I think you were talking about Darth Maul. And all I could think about was like a shopping mall. Like the first time I heard you say it, because I didn't get to read it. I just heard you say the name out loud. And it was just, it sounded like just craziness. Yeah. I, I like the idea that you came from Chicago to Grand Rapids and you're sitting in my tiny apartment. I was like, Darth Sidious and Darth Maul. And there's trade federation. And blah, 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 blah. Not much has changed. <laughs> Not much has changed in this time. Still the, it's, it's still the same. Yeah. And now I'm picturing like Darth Maul and Darth Sidious like walking around like a shopping mall. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was picturing it. too. Yeah. Like this. In and out of like the food court talking about their plan to take over yeah. the galaxy. That's my favorite version of the Phantom Menace. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. That's where all the, uh, all the dark side people shop at the Darth Maul. That's where they get their robes. <laughs> My sister had this board game. It was like Mall Madness. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this giant talking mall game. <laughs> Just like that's what I'm envisioning right now. But like with Darth Maul and Darth Sidious too. And that's oh, funny. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I feel like that would just be a wild time to to live though. I wish that I could <laughs> kind of experience those crazy rumors that were all over the internet because like even sometimes people dredge up these old posts about like crazy names that were floated about about what the move what episode one was even going to be called i don't even remember them but they all sound like oh the creeping fear right oh yes. uh, yeah I remember yes. the, the one, creeping yes. fear yeah. is to me really funny and so crazy but also could be like a really cool name of something <laughs> Like, I hate that a part of me is like, that's cool. <laughs> I think that, that one keeps coming back, I think, doesn't it? Because it is. It's like right on the threshold yeah. of, oh, yeah, that seems goofy enough to be real. Yeah. And it's like that could, that like kind of works with Star Wars. It really does work. Well, I think the great thing, too, with the, with the hype is like what, what we felt back there in um, leading up to Phantom Menace a different generation feels for mm-hmm. The Force Awakens or another generation is going to feel for whatever the heck is going to come out in 2022 uh, of people oh, that man. are just coming into it now. And, you know, like we were talking about, like how you go, how like celebration in real life, that kind of happens every time, but mm-hmm. you, you've got to be of the right 
sometimes of the right age and the right level of excitement to really absorb that. And I'm, I'm excited for the people that are going to come into it in the future. And that period of time, that's going to be their summer 1999. And I think that's, that's Aww. awesome. And that it, it just keeps this star Wars crazy thing. Just oh, keeps I totally going. agree. It's so special. It's just like the way that every generation is getting its own star Wars. It's fantastic. I love it. And it's special. Yeah. yeah I, the, the Phantom Menace was the first film that I weirdly saw in person, like in the movie theater, but it was like a it was a really like sad experience because it was like the midnight 3D releases that they did in like oh. 2011. And mm. I number one, I reserved my ticket like two months in advance because I'd never seen a Star Wars mm-hmm. movie in theaters at that point. And number two, I left a party in Atlanta to travel back to Athens to make it in time for this <laughs> showing. I went up to the booth, asked for my ticket, and the lady laughed at me because there was like 10 people in the theater. And it was like the saddest thing in the world. (laughs) And I don't really remember it very well. I have to say, I just, just to like bring a bright spot to this Phantom Menace 3D, (laughs) my theater was totally sold out and super full, and it was really fun. I remember talking to you afterward, and I was like, no one was here. I don't get that. I don't understand. I know. And they even had like a cardboard cutout. Like I took pictures with a cardboard Darth Maul and like a cardboard Qui-Gon Jinn and like it was great, but like no one was there. <laughs> it was oh, – <laughs> could have been better. I I went during the day. Maybe it was just because everyone had at least seen the movie once. No one was like wanted to stay up late. I don't know. Because you didn't go to a midnight, did you, Jason? Sure did. You did. <laughs> yeah, I was, and I was the only, I was the only person awake at the end of the movie. Oh no! I was looking around and everyone was sleeping, Wait, that, and I was like, I, I think was, that's like, what's the matter with the, you people? The person I went with also fell asleep. I was like, it's awesome. <laughs> this is the best part. <laughs> uh. Charlotte's like the only person who had like a good midnight showing because I remember like I was I mean I was in a college town like I would have thought that like midnight and I'd been to other midnight showings in my in my college town and I was like this is gonna be great there's so many people there were no people <laughs> but all that to say though that like the lead up to the fourth of weekend that was like my moment because I was like this is it like this is this is the experience that I wanted um a couple years ago and so it was amazing and you know i still love phantom menace no <laughs> still still ha- it's still my first star wars movie so it's, it's a lot of your first star wars okay movie isn't it then like it, it's kind of like that's kind yeah. of I, I haven't thought about that but it was your first star wars movie You're ever but it's also your first star wars movie in the theaters in its weird way mm-hmm. in like this quasi modern yeah. fan way great that's very strange yeah i hadn't really thought about that yeah, I tend to like claim Force Awakens more just because that was like such a monumental <laughs> experience seeing it like with you and with like a packed theater and like no one knew what was going to happen. But yeah, no, Phantom Menace is technically first. <laughs> S- sometimes the empty theater screenings are the best though, because that's, True. I think we've talked about that. It's like mm-hmm. when the new movies come out, you go like two weeks later and you get like, you go on a Thursday night yeah. or something and there's like, you're the only one in the theater. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Well, actually, <laughs> yeah. now thinking about it, Caitlin, we did see the Clone Wars movie in theaters and we were we like one of like 10 did. people in there as well. Yeah. I honestly, I don't remember <laughs> I do. that experience. So well, we went at like 11 a.m. I know on like a, on like a yeah. Wednesday it was like summer vacation yeah. or something. <laughs> like, no, 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 Caitlin, you don't remember this. I it was when I was living in London and I was home for your birthday for a weekend and it was like just about to leave theaters and I still hadn't seen it because we waited to see it together. 
And the only time we could go was like during the day. And it had been like there was no one there. Like I think 10 is an exaggeration. (laughs) Yeah, I don't remember. I remember walking out and being like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) An experience. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Needless to say, I claim Force Awakens as my first oh. like monumental theater Star Wars experience. <laughs> I like the Clone Wars movie, and actually, thinking back, I never saw it in the theater because I saw it at uh, I was at the SIGGRAPH, the Computer Graphics Convention, oh, cool. and I got to see the premiere there. I got to see the premiere there, and, and Dave Filoni was there, okay, and John Knoll the was there. Ever. So it was okay. it was pretty that's awesome. But after that, I never went and actually saw it at the real theater. So like, I never bought a ticket or saw it like in a normal theater which is kind of weird thinking back wow are you a fan <laughs> no, i guess not <laughs> you don't support the arts <laughs> yeah, no. the thing the thing is now it's like people always like kind of talk crap about the clone wars movie but i watch it back now and it's so it entertaining really like, yeah i think the first the first half of that movie like when before like when ahsoka gets there and like that whole action sequence is so good like it's just i mean like it's funny because it's almost like a video game but like it's so fun to like watch yeah. it especially like knowing everything that happens and i think it's a fun yeah, ride you also walked out of that movie theater caitlin like completely obsessed with ahsoka like you claimed ahsoka i was already yeah like i had already claimed ahsoka and like she was great but i mean all of it i was like stinky i gotta be honest stinky i'm just like not a fan of to this day um <laughs> i'm like that's okay <laughs> but yeah no i mean i love ahsoka <laughs> Uh, there's part of me that wishes they would do a Clone Wars movie special edition and remake it with the way the show looked at the end of the season now and then talking. re-release it mm-hmm. in theaters again. Yes. Just to give it another chance. Because I would go see it in the theater if it came back. I would too. That would be amazing. Oh, I want yeah. that. We were talking we were talking about how we how we want Star Wars to do like a like a, a an actual like animated film. Because like the Clone Wars movie was like three episodes put together, <laughs> but like it's dedicated. <laughs> from like the middle of season one i don't (laughs) but we want them to do like a dedicated animated film and how that would just be amazing and it would be so great to see what they did with it be so i was i was listening to your episode when you were comparing it to like what uh they did was into the Mm spider-verse and it's like yeah and it made me think too well maybe lord and miller should have done an animated star wars film it might have been a better fit for them well, maybe yeah. they maybe they still can. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it, I, I don't know how that, you know, all went down, but maybe they parted ways like amicably and they could come back and do something similar. Like, I think that would be really great for the franchise. It seems like a really good way too to do more if they're really ending the Skywalker saga saga. I can't thinking of Sagwa now. If they're really yeah. <laughs> if they're really ending the Skywalker saga with nine doing animated films would be a cool way to bring back like the sequel trilogy characters. Like you could have Ray and Finn and all those crew back in new movies that were animated kind of how they do with the forces of destiny stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the, what galaxy adventures, just mm-hmm. other yeah, little side stuff. For sure. Well, that would be fun. <clears throat> that would be great. I'm for yeah, that. Me too. Okay. So our next favorite thing from the Phantom Menace, and this is kind of my favorite thing is the tone poems. And I think the tone poems have oh. <laughs> have second that gets like a round of applause. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I I feel like the tone poems were part of an advertising campaign 
but they're just so good. And if you're unaware and you're listening, you don't know what we're talking about. Um, basically, each main character, so Darth Maul, Queen Amidala, Anakin, Qui-Gon, Shmi, Jar Jar, and Obi-Wan all got these kind of short TV spot advertisements. And each of them included like this amazing poem that they played overhead, showed some clips, but the poem never really came into the movie at all, but it was a really great way to encapsulate the character's wants and needs and um, what that character was about. And even just like reading back on them, I just think it makes me appreciate each character in The Phantom Menace even more. Um, I love them. Do you guys have a favorite tone poem? I like the Anakin one a lot. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) That one runs through my head way too often. Mm -hmm. It's so good. That was I I picked three to read because they're just they're all so good. There's a bunch, but that was one of the ones that I wanted to read. I'm 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 a big fan of the I'm a big fan of the Qui Gon one. It will be a hard. That's the other one I wanted to read. (laughs) You got it. I bet you can't guess number three. Uh, I re- I'm also if I had to pick a number two, I would say the Padme yep, one. Yep, you uh, did it. <laughs> doesn't Shmi have one too? Shmi has a really good. Shmi is really good because that's like the most Shmi dialogue we get. Almost is in her exactly. uh, her tone. Exactly, form. and it's also like Aww. that one is perhaps the most poemy, if I could say so. Like there's, it's it repeats in stanzas. It's just really good. She's almost singing <laughs> yes. in it. Yeah, absolutely. I, Somebody should put a beat to it, and uh, you know they could do a little mix of the Shmi one, mm-hmm. the Shmi song. Caitlin, let's read read these four that I have outlined. I'll read okay. Queen Amidala's. So the one that I like, th- there's two actually Padme ones. There's one called One Will and one called Only Hope. I I like One Will more than Only Hope, but um, so I'm gonna read One Will. There are things I cannot do. I cannot watch while people suffer. I cannot sit when something must be done. I cannot judge those who are different. There are things I cannot do. Run, hide, ignore. There are things I cannot do. But there are certain things I will do. Uh, So awesome. So good. So good. good. That's good. Okay. And then Anakin's is called One Dream. Mm. And he goes, what if dreams came true and you could be who you wanted to be and you could do what you wanted to do and you could help who you wanted to help? What if dreams came true and the world opened up and you were never, ever afraid? What if dreams came true? But dreams do come true, don't they? This one haunts me in the same way it haunts you guys, I'm sure, because first off, the reference to dreams, just knowing what happens in Revenge of the Sith and his he's just constantly in, in Attack of the Clones constantly plagued by dreams Mm -hmm. but here he talks about them in such a positive stance and oh my god it's just so much (laughs) dreams fade in time (laughs) (laughs) and then you fall to the dark side i'd much rather dream about padme yeah (laughs) it's always talking all that guy always with dreams you know (laughs) he's never he's never focused on the reality it's true though that was his downfall your mind should be here Never his mind on where he was, what he should mm-hmm. be doing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Accurate. <laughs> okay, so the next one that is so good is Qui-Gon Jinn's. It's called One Destiny. Mm. It will be a hard life. <laughs> you guys have to do it. <laughs> you guys have to say it will be a hard life. It, it will be a hard life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
One without reward, <laughs> without remorse, without regret. A path will be placed before you. The choice is yours alone. Do what you think you cannot do. It will be a hard life. But in the end, you will find out who you are. So good. It's good. Mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the Shmi song is One Love. This one is like so good and sad. Don't look back before you go. Eyes forward. Choices to make, dreams to realize. Don't look back before you go. Know the truth. Learn to let go. Don't look back before you go, before you leave me. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That one that yeah. one is heavy. So heavy. That one is heavy. That one is heavy. I really I actually really like the Obi-Wan's um the first line of his called Stand Alone. Especially have you have you guys read Master and no, Apprentice not yet? yet? No. Not yet. Guys. No, no. <laughs> I know I knew I was listening to your episode and I was like, they're gonna ask us. <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> We're not doing our homework. <laughs> <laughs> it's Kevin. It's okay, it just came out. It's fine. <laughs> it's, yeah. <sighs> Disappointed. I know. Um, I know. I know. <laughs> the fir- anyway, the first line of Obi-Wan's, um, in a time of change, a young man holds in his hands the fire of a dying age. I think it just like really hits home with like a lot of the themes about like the Jedi Order and like Obi-Wan's personality between like Qui-Gon and the Jedi Order and then of course Anakin later on. I feel like that line really takes on new meaning in light of some new some new canon materials we've gotten. So good. Yeah, I love the tone poems. I frequently return to them. They make me tear up sometimes. And I think they're just so great at encapsulating the characters in The Phantom Menace. They're like a gift. Mm-hmm. They honestly keeps on giving. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to the whole hype thing. As much as people kind of maybe complain about their overhyping Phantom Menace or overmarketing or whatever, like they did some really creative things that you really hadn't seen in a star Wars movie. And I haven't seen any other movies with tone poems from all the main characters. Like it was just a really cool way to promote the movie and actually give you more almost depth and backstory to the characters. For sure. Does anyone know? Cause I never even thought about this till right now who actually wrote the tone poems. I was thinking that as well. And I was just Googling it because that feels like a credit that needs yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there's like I can't find it anywhere. Because like did George Lucas write them on his lunch break? Did someone read the script at and write poems based on what they saw of the script? There's got to be yeah, there's got to be a good story about that somewhere. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz that doesn't sound like like a like a marketing group coming up with a committee like of that sounds that's got a certain level of weird that you could point the finger at only one person you know reminds me of how ryan johnson was talking about his writing process with the last jedi how he like wrote every character down and like the hardest thing for them uh, in like the last jedi like what that would be and i kind of feel like george probably did something similar where he wrote down all his main characters like this and was like okay what are they doing and like what's their like motivation i guess and then someone like took that and then like made these like these the tone poems out of that um i wonder who did the novelization i wonder if maybe they were involved terry brooks which i think we're going to have an episode on that coming up in the future oh, it's it's a fascinating um it's the novelization is really fascinating and uh, back on the subject of Anakin and his dreams they go very in depth on Anakin's dreams in the novelization oh, I don't it's, remember it's, that. it's very it's very interesting it's been so long since i've read the phantom menace novelization like it might have been it, i think i legitimately read it in 2005 and i i should probably pick it up again cuz i've revisited like every novelization except for that one 
And I don't remember that at all. That's really interesting. But I couldn't find any credit for who these who wrote these tone poems. We need to know. Was there ever like on the books, like was there a tone poem for Watto in the works? Was there <laughs> who got cut? Was there a seal bibble tone <laughs> yeah. poem? On, yeah. For the oh, Nemodians? Yeah, New, yeah, yeah where's the New Gunnery's tone poem? Oh, yeah. Watto's tone poem. Trade oh, no. Yeah. One yeah. one deal. That's the Nemonian. <laughs> one deal. Well, Jar Jar got a tone poem. Just like to be serious here, like I think that That's... that is really great, and I really like Jar Jar's tone poem. Actually, it's it's really oh, cute. One friend. Yeah, it's so, it's sweet. so sweet. Yeah, it's sweet. It's sweet. What would Watto's tone poem be called, though? One, one deal. deal. Yeah, his, his I think one deal. deal. Yeah. 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 What about the Nemonians? Bad deal. Maybe. Bad. <laughs> 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 Gotta have one. <laughs> One mistake, one regret. <laughs> Rick Owies would be. This is a tone poem. <laughs> <laughs> this is a tone poem, and then that's all it would be. Yes. Uh, Amazing. Ah, uh, w- they should have had one for Darcidius too. Ooh. Like one plan. Oh, oh. One plan. That would be so good. Oh. Uh. <laughs> or imagine a, ki- a kindly Senator Palpatine oh. tone poem. That would have been. Oh, yeah. One vote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one vote of no confidence. Yeah. He's all it takes. <laughs> Man, I want to like write tone poems for all the characters. Do it. Well, if we ever get uh, Kylo's book of poetry, maybe he's got tone poems in there. <gasps> With his calligraphy. <laughs> right. Oh my further God. speaking our language. That's who wrote the tone poems. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Be one turn. His would yeah. be one turn. Maybe, yeah, for uh, Rise of Skywalker, they'll do the tone poems, but they'll all be Kylo poems. Oh my gosh. The, the <laughs> return of the tone poem for the Seagull trilogy would be, would give me so much life. I'd be sustained Supreme. forever. I'm, they they did mirror the I Phantom know. Menace trailer. So what if they did? Oh. Mm. <laughs> Y'all. It's true. Wow, imagine if we got tone poems for Ray and Kylo and Leia and Poe. Oh my god, and a Finn Leia tone poem. Wow. I'd die. A Leia tone mm. poem. One hope. Oh. <laughs> well, it would be the maybe it would be Man, like they hire me. I feel like I'm on well, a roll. Amadala's her other her second one is called oh, Only, Only hope, hope, which is just obviously a nod. Wow. And I I that how great would it be if hers was also called Only Hope? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, Kylo's would be called One Choice. Ooh. Ah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Heavy stuff. <laughs> what, would, what, would Ray's to- what would Ray's tone poem be? Mm. One Destiny. Ray- Ray's could also, if- yeah, yeah, One Destiny. Hers could also be like One Hope, too. I feel like that could work for her. But One yeah, Destiny, I think Which is just better. like Qui-Gon, which is also kind of interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, like, if you read his, it's kind of similar to her life. It will be a hard life, one without reward, without remorse, without regret. A path, a path will be placed before you. The choice is yours alone. Do what you think you cannot do. It will be a hard life, but in the end, you will find out who you are. Yeah. Wow. That is True. fascinating. Yeah. Mm. Are we going to have to do a Qui Gon? No. And Elon, Ray no. Like- so off brand. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it. That was the episode, guys. No, but I really do find that extremely fascinating. Yeah, that is really interesting. I'm going to have to sit with that for a while. <laughs> okay, but Jason Game, what is your next? Well, you kind of, that was a good segue. We have uh, Qui-Gon and the Jedi Council. Oh. Um, because really, mm-hmm. 
going, one of the big things going into Phantom Menace was, wait, we're going to find out, you know, what were the Jedi like when there was more than two of them. <clears throat> and I think one of the great things too is, is between Qui-Gon and, or Qui-Gon and the Jedi Council too, is you get the whole, the full range of Star Wars-ness where you have Qui-Gon who's kind of stoic and serious. And then you get to the Jedi Council and you have a, you know, a guy that looks like a Q-tip and all and a, a bearded snake man and all these weird, crazy creatures. Um, and then serious Yoda and serious Mace Windu. Like it's just a, I don't know. It's a lot of fun stuff. It's so good. It is really good. I can't watch that scene now without thinking um, you guys listen to our master. I, there's like a minor uh, spoiler for master and apprentice. So I don't want to spoil anything, <laughs> but there's that, um, there's that scene where they ask Qui-Gon to be on the council and Qui-Gon's talking to Yoda and he's like, man, like, I don't like, why would you have put me on the council, Yoda, if you didn't think I could do it? And Yoda's like, yeah, no, I, I voted no for you to be on the council. <laughs> it's like my favorite thing about Yoda I've ever learned. <laughs> Qui-Gon's like, oh. And it stings. Okay. It's like, oh, shoot. He didn't <laughs> vote for me. So great. <laughs> He's like, but, but everyone the thing else that's did, really interesting so. is the like, the like establishment of the politics of the Jedi Council is something that probably I wouldn't have seen coming if I had only seen the original trilogy and then going into the Phantom Menace. I think it's just so surprising that things are so complicated and there's this hierarchy and um, it's just really cool. Yeah, it was definitely in a long list of things that weren't what you were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, the way the the Jedi operated in the the hierarchy and bureaucracy and kind of kind of how dull they could be too. Like for sure. You kind of assumed everyone was like Obi-Wan mm-hmm. off, you know, getting into trouble and they're kind of just sitting around talking about stuff. And it just gets more complicated too, as time goes on in the clone wars and everything. We, you know, we've always been big Qui-Gon fans in that. And, and I, and I was really, I was looking forward to talking this because and it, sometimes you've, I've heard, I think I've heard on the show that the feelings on Qui-Gon They're can really be kind of mixed. Yeah. Mixed, yeah. mixed bag. <laughs> but. Yeah. Depends on the day. <laughs> I feel like, w- w- and we didn't, we did a whole, a qui- an episode, the, the Qui-Gon-a-thon like years ago, <laughs> where I feel like if I can t- go back to that episode, my memories of it, like, I feel like what we summed up from that episode is part of the reason why we love Qui-Gon so much is that you you had this very boring drab bureaucratic jedi council and that but qui-gon was this free-thinking almost radical hippie kind of jedi at least what we saw in the phantom menace who kind of did more what he wanted and even more so i think in the clone wars when especially in that yoda arc and in those final Mm -hmm. episodes where he is, you know, part of the, he is the ambassador to the living force. And I, I think we talk about it all the time. We so wish that that scene in Revenge of the Sith where he could have talked Ugh, to Yoda. It would have been such good closure, mm-hmm. I think. I think if anything, the past like 
I guess, six months with all the like other Qui-Gon content we've gotten. I, I think it's still a mixed bag with him in general, but I think I really appreciate more like the influence he's had on like the characters around him and how he's been influenced, especially like through Jedi, uh, Dooku Jedi Lost, and then like what we see of him in Master and Apprentice. I don't know. I think I like appreciate his role in like the other characters' lives and like how he affects how they think about certain things. I feel like that's like what I enjoy most about his character now. Yeah, you're so right. I think that just by you guys bringing up that Qui-Gon is like, Qui-Gon is the conflict for us, the audience, to realize how like stoic and like dogmatic and um, like stuck in their ways the Jedi Council is. And we're supposed to see through through him and him trying to like essentially defy the council that there is a council to be defied and that he should be like someone should defy this because things need to change. And I again, like Caitlin, I think in the past six months, we've definitely kind of warmed to Qui-Gon's influence and who he is as a character a lot more well it it does seem as much as maybe you don't want to see it or want to admit it but i I do feel like there is some parallels with ray and qui-gon as far as just Mm -hmm. the idea of it's important to for them to trust in the force and that's more important than you know rigid training or or teachers and dogma and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. it's like as ray's getting more comfortable with who she is and her abilities. She's kind of, I mean, she's kind of what Qui-Gon was trying to be in Phantom Menace. Like she's, she's closing her eyes and listening to the force. She's not um, taking lessons necessarily. I mean, she tried to, and it just, it didn't work out and she realized she didn't need it. She just needed to trust in the force and the force would tell her what she needed to do and to believe in herself, which is kind of what Qui-Gon was trying to teach Anakin, I think before, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. before he went away. Listen, I gotta be honest, the like Qui-Gon Ray parallel is not something I would have anticipated coming out of this episode. <laughs> but it's happening and it kind of works. I'm and buying it. Really yeah. No, I'm I'm, totally I'm on board. Fine. I, I can already see I can already see myself being like, yeah, Qui-Gon, man, yeah. just like Ray. And, awesome. And <laughs> from the front they have the same haircut. <laughs> the parallel <laughs> Yeah. Jinx. It's like poetry. It rhymes. It rhymes. Even, you know, Qui-Gon's big lines, you know, feel, don't think, concentrate on the moment. And then you think of Rey and it's, mm-hmm. she is a vessel mm-hmm. for the force. And yeah, okay. and I, I think we, even before The the Last Jedi came out, we were endlessly hypothesizing on what Luke could be like. And we were like, well, could Luke be more Qui-Gon-ish? And kind of in a way he is, where he's abandoned the the traditions of the Jedi, and I, I I hope one day we get some kind of something where the Luke's school and academy in those early days with Ben and what that was all like because I'm endlessly curious on what Luke's teaching technique was with Ben and these students mm-hmm. and if it was more Qui Gon ish of we're not going to be sitting in a tower up above everyone else ruling down where we will be more students of the force and just feeling the living force. I don't know. I mm-hmm. think that's fascinating. Me too. I think it was though, because in the last Jedi novelization, they talk about how Luke like didn't initially st- – it wasn't like Return of the Jedi stopped and he like started a new order. Like he wasn't going to. 
And then like things started happening with Ben and they're like, oh, maybe we like need to get him in some training, um, like a vocational <laughs> school. And then that's when Luke <laughs> – vocational school for the light side. And that's when Luke kind of started. So yeah, I think it will be really interesting. Hopefully we get that kind of content because I think we will because it's necessary. You know, I, th- I think it will like fill – it will fill in so many like holes in, in everyone's story throughout the sequel trilogy. So we need it. Agreed. Okay, so one of my next favorite things is actually from the making of documentary, The Beginning, which we've already talked a little bit about, but the budget meeting, that's like <laughs> <laughs> it's it stresses me out so much, but I also look forward to watching it every time I put that documentary on. I'm like, we're almost at the budget meeting. We're almost there. we're here. We're here and I'm stressed, but I'm watching it and I'm excited. I just like everything about it is just crazy. Like, the, one, that whole documentary is crazy, which we all know. But, like, that in particular, I don't know where they are, but it's, like, the weirdest office setup I've ever seen in my life. They're in, like, a fishbowl office at, like, a small round table. And it's – who is it? It's Judith. I can't remember her last name. Um, Doug, John Knoll, and George. And George is like, well, we've got to do this. And John Knoll's like, uh, how? <laughs> <laughs> And then it zooms in on Judith, and her eyes are like, oh, my God. <laughs> poor Judith. She looks so – poor Judith. I don't know why, but that's see- – oh, and Rick is there, of course, too. And Rick's like, yeah. And he's just like <laughs> smiling through it, <laughs> grinning and bearing it. And I just think it's so funny how George is like, well, we have like 50000 – we have $600,000 worth of pods, worth of pod raisers. <laughs> and I- like just hearing these numbers thrown around, I don't know, but I love that part. <laughs> well, that, so good. That part makes the the whole storm in the desert feel even worse too, because you like yeah. know how hard it was to just figure out how to pay for all this stuff, and then all of a sudden yeah. they get the storm, mm-hmm. you know, blows it all over. The storm just gives me so much anxiety. I think George says too in that budget meeting, he's like, because they're talking about all the computer graphics, and he's like, we got to figure this out because, you know, when the next people come and they want to do this, they're not going to be able to pay this kind of money for it. And like John and Rick and Judith and Doug, they're all like, well, how are we going to pay all this money to do it? But George is like, this is what we got to do. Get it done. I think that that also speaks to just the awesomeness of that the beginning documentary where there's so many times in that documentary where you're watching it and as a viewer and as a Star Wars fan you feel like I shouldn't be watching this like I shouldn't I I I'm not allowed in this room I'm like a crazy fan and they don't let me into these meetings you know but it's the great thing with the so many of those uh, prequel documentaries they're so fly on the wall and so here's how this crazy thing was made. I think the closest we've gotten to that in like the modern times is seeing Ron, uh, Rom and Ryan work together. Mm-hmm. And Rom has his clipboard and he's like, okay, so just tell me all the dates and I'll figure it out. And I think that's why they work so well as a team um, together mm-hmm. because he like totally figures it out. And like the, the version of the budget meeting for the last Jedi was tell me what you need and I'll do the numbers and I'll crunch the numbers and I'll tell you what you can't do. And yeah. I, th- it's, it's just really interesting because I think that it's just proof of like they've learned, I guess, to figure it all out, even though I know those kind of budget meetings happen in, in mm-hmm. modern Star yeah. Wars movies, of course. 
it's a great that it's in the director and the Jedi too. Mm-hmm. And and Ram describes it really well. He's like, the budget is really big, like the box is really big, but it's there's still like a limit to it. <laughs> and he's like, sometimes Ryan doesn't remember that. Because <laughs> Ryan's just like, oh my god, this is the biggest budget I've ever had for a film. And Ram's like, correct, but. <laughs> And then you just think about like how much money it took to like helicopter the Thala siren around. (laughs) Yep. Every single every demon's right not to budge on that. Every (laughs) single It's just funny. So funny. (laughs) Directors and their budgets, man. If yeah, if there's all that unreleased footage for both of those documentaries, hopefully, yeah, someday we'll see. Maybe there's there'll be an hour long just budget cut of the of the beginning and of the director of the jedi <laughs> just going line by line caitlin's favorite episode yeah. honestly yeah i'm for it because i was th- i was thinking a lot about the director and the jedi actually because in the the beginning they were talking about being um filming naboo and Theed and how they were in this like 16th century palace and stuff and like how difficult that was and like the different things they had to do and like where they were going to put in matte paintings and stuff and then it made me think about um uh, not great. Why can't I think Canto of that? Bite. Canto Bite. Um, and like kind of that same process. And I was like, huh, they're kind of doing similar things, like similar set pieces and like things to consider. I don't know. They paralleled really nicely. I just love the part in Directing the Jedi where they're talking about how next time they'll make sure they shoot more than one scene, like on each set or whatever, because they built so many sets for just like one scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's the crazy thing I was telling Caitlin before we started recording. Like every time I watch one of these behind the scenes documentaries, I cannot get over how much building happens, like the building of the sets. And um, we have Rick McKellum saying that they're building in three shifts for 24 seven, just like building these sets in this old Rolls Royce, like warehouse. And, I'm I'm like, this is just so much work. And I know that they just tear it down the next day after they're done wrapping and just so much beautiful artwork and so much work and goes al- into also, it. Also, of course, George doesn't have like a regular factory, like he like a warehouse. You've got to have like a Rolls Royce. <laughs> I feel like that's all Rick, Caitlin. That's all Rick. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. McCallum touch. <laughs> oh boy. So what was your next one? I think kind of bouncing off uh, what we just talked about, I, I think we would agree one of our favorite things with The Phantom Menace was the the D, the home video release and the DVD release. Mm. Because especially the DVD release, that was the first Star Wars movie on DVD. It was the first time we ever had a George Lucas commentary on a Star Wars movie. We got deleted scenes and a documentary like the beginning. It was at the time, it was all uncharted territory for Star Wars. And it was just mind blowing and so exciting. And I remember getting that DVD and bringing it home and being like, I don't know what to watch first. It's all so exciting. Do I watch the George Lucas commentary? Do I watch the, the, the documentary? Do I watch the deleted scenes? Uh, I actually, funny story, I was so excited, I bought an entire box of Krispy Kreme donuts. I don't know why, and I don't remember what I had to drink, but I was so excited, and I went to a store, like, as soon as they opened to buy the Phantom Menace DVD, took it home, I think I watched the movie with commentary, freaked out, ate all the donuts, and then passed out. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I was like, I had this whole day planned where all I was, I took the day off from work. It was a Tuesday and all I was going to do, I was was going to dedicate the whole day to Phantom Menace. Not even like a Friday or like a Monday. It was a Tuesday. It came out on a Tuesday. Tuesday. I don't remember. Listen, I didn't get the Phantom Menace on DVD until 2007. I was so excited to get the Phantom Menace on DVD. I ripped off when I was opening it up. I ripped off the plastic front so yes yeah so that i remember like there's there's artwork that like fits in the sleeve i ripped off the sleeve so i have to it's like (laughs) jankily taped yeah Uh, Yeah. oh no (laughs) (laughs) why do i remember this it's because it looks so bad (laughs) before i had them you would bring them to my house when we would watch them (laughs) the phantom menace one is so sad i know because i was just so excited yeah It's, it's just been loved it's got yes. love on it. Exactly. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, didn't they had uh they had all the web docs too, right? They started the web docs with Phantom Menace, right, Jason? Oh yeah, there was all the the, the featurettes and all the because there was the 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 webisodes, the webisodes they stuff. Yeah, because there was that before the movie, which was pretty amazing. And then the fact that when the DVD came out, they put all those together on the DVD, so you could rewatch all that stuff too. Yeah, and it was like, oh my god, the webisodes yeah. are on here, and you don't have to wait for them to download. <laughs> oh man, uh, that was good times. That was yeah. I want to say that that's almost as exciting as the movie coming out, though, because wasn't it two years after the movie came out that the DVD <gasps> came out? What? Uh, yeah, I think it was two. <laughs> I think it was two thousand and one. Yeah. Oh my was, god. <laughs> We were very, we were in Attack of the Clones fever when the Phantom Menace DVD came out, which didn't help anything. Yeah, that was a long two years. <laughs> oh my God, I cannot imagine that, like at all. I cannot imagine waiting two years for. Well, that's DVD. that's why Jason saw it thirty-seven times in the theater. <laughs> Makes sense. Got to do true. what you got to do. Yeah, it's true. You got to yeah. It's, yeah, <laughs> just gotta keep going. Just gotta keep going. It's there. I might as well yeah, go. Just a few more times, and the blue and the DVD will be out. Oh, thank God for digital releases. Yes. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, <laughs> we're in a much better time yeah. now. Yeah. Less bonus features, though. I gotta say. No, they're no, they're just waiting. They're just waiting for episode nine, and then when they sell the box set, we're just just like the original trilogy special edition box set. We're gonna get a whole DVD of just. Or three DVDs, as they did for the Saga one in 2011. Oh, yeah. That was so great. But we got – I can't remember. They're probably – somebody somebody will, I'm sure, remember. But I can't remember a DVD before The Phantom Menace that was that jam-packed. And I know a lot of people, when they talk about, like, the golden age of, like, DVD bonus features and stuff, everybody points to the the Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. and those extended versions that had, like, 72 hours bonus features on each one. And those were great, but I like the Phantom Menace was the first DVD I ever got where the bonus features where I was like, this, you're telling me this was only $19.99 for this DVD because it should have been, are you sure it's not $199? Because it was so, for a Star Wars fan, and especially for, you know, if you were hooked from episode one and down for whatever else they were going to give you, it was, this was the ultimate so great. 
I feel like I need to go back and like explore those bonus features more because like I've watched the beginning a number of times, but I haven't really explored the other ones as in depth. But you're like now I'm like where is where is my DVD of the Phantom Menace? <laughs> I need to go find the physical copy of it. Well, and the nice thing now is too, it's, it's everything's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So if you mm-hmm. if you can't find every single bonus feature from that DVD, you can easily find it on YouTube. And if- yeah, but I want to click. I want to click with the arrows, you oh, know, yeah. like on the remote. Yeah. Okay, so my next favorite thing from The Phantom Menace is the line, there's always a bigger fish. Yes. Which I feel like, it's like, it's so on the nose. I think that every time, the first time you see this, you're like, oh boy, like, there is always a bigger fish, haha. But I do think that it's so perfect because it so perfectly refers to The Phantom Menace as there's always someone else, there's always someone there, there's always something looming. And I think that it's even more prevalent now that we even think about like episode nine and the fact that Palpatine is returning like there is always this bigger fish there's always someone bigger someone badder than Snoke than Kylo Ren than Hux and it's Palpatine and I think that like there's always a bigger fish and that that it's Palpatine always it does refer in the Phantom Menace to Palpatine as well so I just think that it's it's a great line it's cheesy but it's so perfect (laughs) in that it totally encapsulates everything yep it's the fan. It's it's the Phantom Menace in one line. Mm-hmm. It really is. <laughs> and at this point, right now, it feels like it's the saga in one line too. Yeah, yeah. there's always the bigger fish. It's always like a bigger problem. There's always something bigger. Mm-hmm. There's something greater. It's just like it's so perfect. And the more you sit with it, the more like meaning you can extrapolate from it. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just imagine George writing it down. Like, there's always a bigger fish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And we're over here like, it's the meaning of the yeah. saga. Yeah. <laughs> right. He wrote that and he's like, I'm done for the day. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, that's funny. <laughs> Comes down from his tower. Yeah. He's like, Rick, Rick, isn't this funny? <laughs> and there'll, there'll be a bigger, like an actual bigger fish. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> Rick like, dies laughing. <laughs> And then he's just thinking, how much is this fish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Could could it be like just, could it be a medium sized fish? Maybe. There's like, yeah, he's like, just how big is the fish? And George is like, huge, <laughs> bigger. <laughs> they they really missed out in Last Jedi when Luke is doing his pole fishing and he's going up the hill carrying the fish on his shoulder. That, could, that really could have been a great callback. You're right. Missed opportunity. Yeah, wow. Opportunity missed. Yeah, yeah. for sure. If a porg suddenly spoke English, like, there's always a bigger fish. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, who said that? It's like the tiny porg at her feet. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what is y'all's next thing? The score and I guess everything to do with the score. We got a new fanfare, which was so good. They used it for all three of the prequels. We got new John Williams music. We got a music video on MTV. I think mm. the 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 music part of Phantom Menace was as impressive and exciting and as good and crazy as the rest of the movie. And it was another one of those things going in where like, hey, you know, is is it going to still sound like Star Wars? Is John Williams going to be able to come in and, and write something and have it feel like the old movies? Yeah. In the beginning documentary, 
Um, John, I like that part where John's like, we can do Duel of the Fates without the chorus if you don't really like that. And I love how George is like, no, it like fits in totally with um, with episode three, like what's going to come in in episode three. But I do like that there was this, you know, this back and forth between John and George about like, I don't know if the chorus like even really fits in. Like, do you think it's going to feel Star Warsy? Like, essentially, that's kind of how I uh, got got that line um, in the beginning. But yeah, the music is so good. It's good. I, I feel like Duel of the Fates is always the one everyone points to. But I found that like the when I've gone back and listened to it more recently, like Anakin's theme just like mm. sticks out so much to me now. Like I feel like I have a much greater appreciation for it. So yeah, it's good. definitely one part of the score where when you're listening to it, you can kind of imagine the movie and you can imagine the mm-hmm. character really of Anakin just by listening to the, to his theme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think did did you did you ever go to that Star Wars in concert from a few years back that toured around I didn't, where they it didn't come to Atlanta. Anthony Daniels. I, I remember going to it, and I I feel like the, Gabe was the only thing they played from Phantom Menace Anakin's theme. They really brushed over the prequels pretty quickly in those. I can't remember. The only thing I remember is I, I think for some reason they had like a Kit Fisto costume in the lobby. Yeah. And for once I saw Kit Fisto, I forgot what the music they played was. So unfortunately yeah, I can't remember what they played from, from the prequel. They feel like it was, it was like a, ta- it was like across the stars and then battle the heroes. But yeah. And I feel like for Phantom Menace, maybe it was just Anakin's theme, but I like I I've, I the only time I ever like teared up in a Star Wars movie was Last Jedi with Yoda's speech where I was like that's beautiful, um, but in th- sitting there and hearing a live orchestra playing Anakin's theme with a giant screen, just playing clips from the Phantom Menace behind it with no dialogue of just little Annie and Shmi and stuff and hearing that live was a really amazing experience and i i feel like before that i never really appreciated anakin's theme but since then yeah if somebody asked me what's your favorite music track on the phantom menace i would say um say anakin's theme and i really love the little the little ditty when the pilots take off from that yeah so good anakin's theme is so great just because it tracks like anakin's whole journey and Mm -hmm. it's just like so indicative of his whole like life it's just so beautiful i I love it um but also augie's municipal band Mm -hmm. i feel like it's getting a lot Mm -hmm. of attention lately because it's essentially I, i could be wrong about this i'm not an expert on music at all but isn't it um palpatine's theme like kind of in major key yep sure yep. <laughs> sure is mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. and it's just so good that's just it's like such an amazing touch that they'd end the phantom menace with that and it's joyous but there's that looming threat that phantom menace, the phantom menace. there's always a bigger fish i i remember hearing that when the movie was still in theaters um Somebody, I think it was on like a force.net message board or something. And someone's like, yeah, the, the parade at the end, that music is Palpatine's theme. The next I was like, oh my, oh, good thing I'm going tomorrow. <laughs> and then like, when I went to go see it again, I was like, oh my God. And then like they cut to like Palpatine standing up there with the Jedi just smiling and stuff. And it's like, oh my 
God. Like, and I remember sitting in the theater being like, these people don't even know what they're talking about with this movie. This movie is working on levels people aren't even understanding. <laughs> so good. Yeah. It's just so brilliant. I feel like that also is not a super widely known fact about that. I didn't know that until recently. And I've loved that track forever. And it just like makes me love it even more because it's just so sinister. So mm-hmm. great. It's really good. Yeah. John Williams and George Lucas work so well together and in, in the prequels, especially like it was neat to see. I mean, George Lucas went big and crazy and huge with the prequels and John Williams was along for the ride and went mm-hmm. even bigger and crazier with the music, mm-hmm. but then still, yeah. F- fitting in little things like that, just kind of giving hints of the story just with the music. Wow. Especially, we've had, we had like some John Williams news today too about him scoring for The Rise of Skywalker, like starting that already. So it just, this oh. whole conversation just makes me really yeah. excited yeah, <laughs> about what's to come. Said he liked what he saw and he did like 25 minutes or something. It's just like, yeah, you do it, mm-hmm. you do it, you go. Yeah. <laughs> 25 more minutes, come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Well, um, it's kind of a, a good segue into what one of my favorite things is is about the Phantom Menace. I just love how it's the start of Anakin's story. And I love how like going back and like listening to George talk about where he chose to start Anakin's story, like from the point of Anakin being a child as opposed to like a teenager or like even starting with Attack of the Clones age and how that was a very specific choice. And I don't know, I just really like hearing him talk through that thought process. But I also really love like there's that key artwork. I think it was on one version of the DVD. You see it everywhere of like tiny Jake Lloyd as Anakin walking on Tatooine like with the shadow of Vader behind him. And I just like that's one of my favorite Star Wars images. It's just like it's so chilling and I think it's so perfect for like why George chose to start this movie at this juncture in Anakin's life. Like I just – I think it's brilliant. I think it's incredible. <laughs> it's so good. And then I really like too how in the trailer um, when Yoda is talking about like what leads to the dark side, like, you know, like fear, hate, anger, whatever, you see Palpatine's hands resting on Anakin's shoulders. But you don't actually see Palpatine in the shot, but you know it's him. <laughs> it's just like, oh, mm-hmm. it's chilling. He's a man with a plan. He is a man with a plan. Everyone should listen to Blast Points' Palpatine episode. It blew my mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's, there's, there's always a bigger yes. fish. Um, <laughs> we should have called that episode. Oh, that. yeah. Well. And, and I think it's interesting going back, like when we, we did an episode about um, – the the early drafts of the Phantom Menace screenplay. And there was a long period of time where Anakin was more uh, closer to Padme's age. I think he was like going to be like what 13 or something. Or, 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 I think that's what Padme is supposed mm-hmm. to be in the, in the, yeah. in the film. Um, and he was going to be a little bit older and you read that stuff and you're like, Oh, okay. And there's, there's some production art that like, um, Ian McKegg or Doug Chang did or something where he is kind of a, more of a young preteen kind of look. And you're like, okay, but yeah, I don't, I think it, it, the story of Anakin on a whole, it, it hits harder that he is this, this young boy and he's, you know, he's so nice to everyone in town and stopping and talking to Jira and, you know, like, <laughs> It's it's perfect, and I know I, I mention it all the time. And I think I was I was talking to to you guys about it at um, 
celebration but the book Tatooine Ghost which just does not get enough credit where such a fascinating story where Leia goes back to Tatooine sum it up really quickly and pretty much learns about who her father was when he was little Annie Skywalker Hmm. and you know she talks to the people that knew little Annie and she learns this whole aspect of her father that she didn't even know existed and without starting Anakin's journey where he did, it would just be very different if, mm-hmm. if he was older and it, it, yeah. well, it helps. It helps kind of sell the idea of this is, you know, the olden days when things were different and innocent and, you know, Anakin was young and he was innocent, but the, I guess the galaxy is kind of in a way younger and more innocent before kind of things just get worse. Um, and if he wasn't a little kid, I maybe mean, it would be harder to get that feeling of just like, you know, being a kid and everything's great and the future, you have your future ahead of you and, you know, everything's going to be great, but it doesn't always turn out that way. <laughs> but at least with Phantom Menace, you get like that one little snippet in time of like when things were still innocent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just it, – I think it was the best choice, honestly, for Anakin's character. I think a lot of people kind of wish that he was a little older, what you guys were saying, and there were even concepts about that. But I think, like you said, it just like it hits home for him to be this age and to be in such an oppressive situation and then have like all this hope for getting out of that situation on Tatooine. But it's like he doesn't necessarily like he has obviously a better life waiting for him, but he also has this looming destiny that we all know is coming. Um, but he doesn't know it yet. I think it was a great choice. Yeah, I think I appreciate the choice as I get older too. I think me when I was younger, I think I wanted him to be a little bit older, like maybe match Padme's age, like you guys discussed. Because I think that personally I wanted to relate to Anakin in the age way. Um, and I didn't at that point, but I think that like, you're so right. I think that it was the perfect choice. Um, it really does sell the innocence and the hopefulness that it's so that you really desperately need to see so you can understand where that comes from in his children in, um, the original trilogy. Yeah, it's true. Okay. So what is your next point? Well, I think kind of bouncing off, um, what we were kind of just talking about, I think, um, the way the Phantom Menace did new takes and new ways of looking at characters that we were familiar with from the from the the original trilogy, where we saw Palpatine, but kindly Senator Palpatine, but it, it was a completely different Palpatine to what we were familiar with, and. Anakin Skywalker, even it's, it was not what people I think were expecting. I think people expected young Anakin Skywalker to come on screen and to be like kicking people in the face and being an angry young boy with anger issues and stuff, you know. And even Obi Wan Kenobi was, I think, very different than mm-hmm. what you would perceive going into the film. And I th- that was a really bold move that the Phantom Menace took and that George Lucas took with the, how are we going to do these characters that from the release of the older films to the new had become icons. You can throw Yoda in that list too of, of Yoda was a very different character than we were used to from Empire Strikes Back and Jedi too. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So. Oh, yeah. I remember watching Empire Strikes Back for the first time and being like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> when we got to Yoda. Because <laughs> he's very different than who we see in the prequels. <laughs> and that's like by design. I think that it, mm-hmm. the Phantom Menace defined what defying expectations were. <laughs> and I think that that's like a hotly debated you know, term in modern film discussions. And I feel like they did it so brilliantly. And it's like, now we have the retrospect and the other films to look back and understand like what was happening here and how it all fits in into this one massive saga piece and how we can look at the prequels to reflect like what's happening in the original trilogy. And I guess the sequels now too. Um, and everything was just so different. Just so great. It was such a brilliant move. Okay, so my next favorite thing from The Phantom Menace is Shmi Skywalker. Is it Shmi? Is it Shmi? Like, does anyone really know? It's, it's, <laughs> I don't know. In the, it's what, in the beginning, what does your heart doc- tell you? Yeah, exactly. It is what is it. Oh, my God. <laughs> perfect. The In the beginning documentary, George says, I think we've officially decided that it is Shmi. And I'm really confused. But then it's Shmi in, in the movie, so I'm just going to go by Shmi. Um, But she definitely doesn't get enough love. I think that that's like been discussed in fandom recently a lot. And it's just so true. I think that the introduction of her character, she's just so kind. And um, that that scene, it breaks my heart every single time. And again, just as I'm getting older, I feel like it just is getting more and more emotional when Anakin leaves home um, and Shmi watches her son go is so brilliantly acted by both of them i think that they both are excelling so much in that scene and i'm just totally sold Mm -hmm. by their relationship and how devastating it is and her whole story is like you just really wish that she could have gotten out and it's just another piece of star wars tragedy to me um and i can't wait for more stories of hers because i know that that's coming down the line it has to she's a skywalker and she deserves that sort of recognition um and i was just so delighted in queen shadow even just like the mere mention of her i don't know if you guys have read queen shadow but i'm not going to spoil it but they even mention you know her uh still being a slave and like wanting to go back and free her and everything and i i feel like it's just so important that we continue to tell Shmi's story just because she is a Skywalker and it's so important. Mm-hmm. And her sacrifice also is just, it's just beautiful. She's the matriarch. She is. She is. She doesn't get enough love. No, I think I was just going to say it's it's almost like in a way her her sacrifice of letting Anakin go is kind of mirrors in a way Anakin's sacrifice of not letting Luke go at the mm-hmm. end and kind of he, he you know it kind of goes full circle there where his mom let him go and he's not going to let his son go wow mm-hmm. well and what is that and what does that sound like too you know with letting go and letting go of the past and mm-hmm. some parents not letting go of hope for their children I mean that's <sighs> That's, that's the parallel I really want to see because I I totally agree with what everyone is saying about like Shmi started our story with sacrificial love because she knew that by letting Anakin go, he would have a better life. And like that story was like the start of our Skywalker story was him leaving home, was a son leaving his mother. And then 
perhaps at the end of our Skywalker saga, it will be a son coming home and his mother like welcoming him back instead of letting him go. Um, I don't know. I think that would be really cool to have like since Star Wars is like so heavily focused on like fathers and sons, but that it is bookended by these mother and son yeah. relationships, I think would be really great if if that was able to still be in the cards given the situation with Carrie now for episode nine. Yeah. No, that would be I mean, that's a way that you how do you out end Return of the Jedi? I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. how you that's how you do it. <laughs> True. <laughs> make it all make it all work. That makes it work. Oh, it'd be so good. <laughs> and it makes sense too that with everything JJ said, where he didn't know how to tell this story without Leia being in the story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and if you're going to if Ben Solo is going to be part of the rise of Skywalker, like if anything would be the true rise of Skywalker, it would be, yeah, doing what Anakin was never able to do. And yeah, like you said, coming home. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So sad. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I'm crying. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, Star Wars is tragedy, but like, wow, so there better be a happy ending at the end here. Sometimes you, you <laughs> when you make these kind of, I don't know, these parallels, it's just it's like, whoa, the power of mythic storytelling. It's like amazing. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is y'all's next one? So we got some goofy ones, and we got well, all right, we'll do this one because this kind of ties in with Shmi. Is in addition to our classic. Our takes on new takes on classic characters. There were amazing new characters introduced, like Shmi, but then also true Star Wars characters like Seal Bibble and Watto and Captain Panaka and kindly old Jira. There's just Sebulba, all the pod racers. There's just so many just wild and crazy Star Wars characters kind of introduced and you know you can be cynical and say it was just to sell more toys but it was just to make the movie awesome i think agreed <laughs> and give us stuff and give us stuff to talk about 20 years later like there's just so many <laughs> just new things crammed into that movie that are just there's so much character in the characters uh totally mm-hmm. i feel like more and more now i really like watto a lot more than i ever did when i first <laughs> saw the phantom menace like i feel like i was very anti watto for like the first five to seven years of my star wars life but (laughs) now i feel like i i don't know i just like i think he's fun i like when he's like your jedi mind tricks don't work on me so like why are you trying i don't know and like i want to explore his shop like i really want to explore like what like what like one man's trash is another man's treasure i'm sure i personally as a star wars man would find a lot of treasure in his shop I always like Watto's shop that he's got his main shop and then he's got like a backyard. Yeah, right? He, he, like outside, like what's out there? It's got to be waterproof. Yeah. <laughs> it's tattooing. It doesn't rain. Yeah. yeah. That's really what's good. funny That's, is yeah. I was just listening to the commentary or one of the commentaries. I guess there's a bunch of Phantom Menace commentaries. And John Knoll was talking about how they used to have like a wall up when Qui-Gon and Watto went back there. And it was just like a bunch of junk and a wall. But George was like, no, it has to go on forever. Like, put more stuff back there. <laughs> like, isn't that so, George? And, Keep going. and I just think Keep it's, like, going. it's hilarious to me that, of course, it works in this, like, fantasy story where the rules don't matter. But, like, in this 
sprawling metropolis. <laughs> There's a huge <laughs> junkyard, I guess, just in the middle <laughs> of the city. It's just perfect. It's all Wattos. It's all Wattos. It goes on forever. George wanted to go yeah. on forever. John, I was like, that's another... That's another five grand in Watto's junction. <laughs> They're matte paintings, actually, which I think is cool. It's an expensive mm-hmm. matte painting, though. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's just like, what's in there? You know what I mean? Like, we've got that new book coming out that was just released, The the Force Collector. Like, what if he travels to Watto's shop? Like, I wonder what he would find there. Oh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Well, <laughs> did Anakin find the parts for C-3PO at Watto's shop? Oh, I bet he did. Did he like smuggle them out? Like, I think he did. Work? I think that's canon. Yeah, yeah. and like Kitster was the distraction, <laughs> and then Anakin like knocked him out yeah. the back door. <laughs> he hid. He hid the parts in his ball racket. Those those ball rackets are so thick. Those big frying pans. <laughs> Please give us that story of Kitster's distraction of Kitster <laughs> Watto. Just asking Watto tons of questions. <laughs> That's perfect for Forces of Destiny. It it's is. Right, yeah. the right idea. Oh, and then we can oh, get a kid God. Anakin, kid Kister, kid Wald, and then uh, the little girl that says it'll never work, like the four <laughs> of them in like a four pack with the Forces of Destiny style. Oh, my God. I'm still waiting. Yeah, I'm still waiting for yeah. Anakin's buddy's super pack of figures. Oh. We need it. I think that'd be a great series, just like like a little oh. mini series, you know, of them in Watto shop just getting into shenanigans. <laughs> little, little the Tatooine street kids like hanging out in Mos Espa, <laughs> playing ball and getting into trouble. Uh, I think that should be our celebration Anaheim panel that we pitch. What is ball? <laughs> and let's learn more about Anakin's friends. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's got Disney Plus written all over it. Mm-hmm. 100%. <laughs> yes. I'd have a packed house, I think, personally. Okay, so my next one is pretty generic, but I had to go for it. Um, Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. I feel like I did, again, it's kind of like similar to Watto. For the first like five to seven years of my Star Wars life, I was like, okay, great, Darth Maul. He's cool. He dies. But then he didn't. And now I'm, like, so much more invested in him, in everything that's come up. And especially to our friend Katie, who is, like, the biggest Darth Maul fan, she has just made me want to learn anything and everything I can about Darth Maul. And now when I watch The Phantom Menace, I'm like, oh, my God, Darth Maul. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, like, her passion for that character has enhanced my viewing of The Phantom Menace, specifically She's for Darth Maul. And, and I love that. <laughs> she really has. She really has. And and like I think it's amazing. <laughs> I I would agree. Yes. I I've always had a yeah, the same thing. Yeah, Darth Maul. Yeah, he's cool. And you know, it's the Clone Wars. Uh, Darth Maul. Okay. And then Rebels. Yeah, yeah. Darth Maul or Maul. But then really, it's talking to Katie in the past like year or two years that has really uh, her passion for all things Maul is. Uh, really pushes it to the And her level. knowledge, like it's an it's an encyclopedic, is that the right word? Knowledge of Maul. It's like it goes back so far. She can pinpoint these specific things, which is like hilarious in retrospect, because I think that we can all do that with Star Wars. But I think that like specifically for Darth Maul, it's crazy and awesome. It's insane. So great. I remember I had dinner with her in San Francisco last year and I remember 
we like I mentioned something in passing and she like just started telling me about this like whole like literature that exists around Darth Maul that I had no idea about. <laughs> yes. And I was like, I just thought he appeared in Clone Wars. And she was like, no. no. I'll, <laughs> I'll link her panel from Celebration mm-hmm. in the show notes if you, if anyone is really curious and you haven't caught it. But she goes through all the literature and like the Maulissants, essentially. It's, it's great. Like, did you know that Darth Maul had two hearts? Now I do. I uh, yeah, I, 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 when I watched her panel, yeah, that was- <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea, and I, I mean, like, not just to be like, oh my god, Katie is amazing, and her love for Darth Maul because it is, um, and she's taught me so much about the character. But I think that, like, she's right, like the Maul Renaissance, like the Maul Renaissance. I think is just like that's one of the things. Like, Maul is a perfect example of what I love about Star Wars so much is how. Late, like later installments, whether it's through novels or comics or TV shows or cameos in films, can completely shift your perspective of a film that was made 20 years ago. And it's like I felt one way about a character, like I thought the story was over. And then I got other canon, whether it was like prequel content for that character or like his story actually just continued. And now like it's completely changed my viewing in a really positive way. And I just think like I think we can all point to different examples of that throughout Star Wars. And I think it's just it's one of the ways that Star Wars is just so special and unique as a franchise and the way that it's made, like kind of hopping around in all these different time periods. And it was just really great. You, th- you think of Maul, you pretty much on screen, you've seen him die twice. And you mm-hmm. think of the first time you saw him die in The Phantom Menace and how that made you feel to win in Rebels, where you saw him die again for real this time and how that made you feel. And that that's some Star Wars magic for right sure. there. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like, it's crazy. I remember watching that that scene in Rebels, like that whole thing. And then listening to like Sam Witwer discuss it afterwards and like just having more like access and like content with Sam and now with Ray Park to talking about this character and like how they get in his head and kind of his journey. I don't know. It just, it brings so much more, especially like what you were talking about when you can compare how you felt not only seeing him die, but battle Obi-Wan in The Phantom Menace. Now it's what we see in Rebels and like just how far, far or not far these characters have come emotionally like in that time frame. It's just Star Wars is good. So good. <laughs> okay, what's your next? So staying on the same kind of thing of, of like a, a kind of random thing that's just kind of awesome in there. Uh, Got to give a huge shout out to the pod race. That was going to be my next one. You're so on <laughs> point. <laughs> the, the pod race is a masterpiece on so many different and technically on the 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 effects the sound the editing it is and in that beginning documentary lucas says the big thing is going to be how how do we top the pod race because after the pod race everyone's going to be ready to go home but you know he says we will with this amazing jedi battle at the end but he's absolutely right in a normal movie the pod race would be your climax of the movie because it's just, it's an amazing feat of technical and achievement on every level. And and it's also completely insane Star Wars where you've got like a little chicken McNugget wearing a funny hat <laughs> and <laughs> these crazy puppets driving these giant flying engines. And it's just, it's 
just so Star Wars. And it's, yeah, absolutely perfect. Well, and it's the thing going into Phantom Menace. I never would have imagined, A, that I would ever see a Star Wars people racing, in, you know, pods behind engines thing. And I didn't even know I wanted to see that. And now that I've seen it, it's like probably one of my absolute favorite things about Star Wars through everything is just, it's just this incredible super Star Warsy thing that Phantom Menace gifted the world. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. <clears throat> one of my favorite things about it though, is that there's no music. It's just sound. And like mm-hmm. the sound design just really speaks for itself and it creates almost its own music. It's just like so rhythmic and it's like I feel like anyone can close their eyes right now and know exactly what that pod race sounds like. And I really do think that that's like mm-hmm. the magic of sound mixing and sound design. It's just so perfect. And I do think the pod race holds up so well, too. And this is a 20-year-old movie where they were experimenting with so many new pieces of technology. But it looked, yeah, creating it as they go. And th- it still looks so good. So good. Yeah, the Padres holds up exceptionally well when you watch it. And yeah, I was going to put Padres on my list too, but I knew Charlotte would. And I was pretty sure you guys would too because um, it's just – I mean, it's just that good. Um, but yeah, the the lack, the absence of music in it is so great. And like you said, you can, you can just immediately picture how it sounds and how – like that's so much of what Star Wars is. It's visuals and it's the sound design. And that's both John Williams and then also what they're doing like with the actual sound design and sound mixing and – like sound creation for all of these things that don't exist in our world. And it's just, it's never more on display than it is mm-hmm. in the pod race. And it's amazing. Yeah. Well, it's like a miniature version of what Star Wars is. It's like the most, mm-hmm. it's like pure George Lucasness of just, it's like visceral action, but there's a, there's a story you can follow what's going on. There's, there's drama, there's, there's goofy creatures. Um, it's yeah, it's just all there in this little this little mini yeah. section. I I keep saying I wish they would just take the pod race and just release it in theaters every once in a while. Like That'd you could go so on a Saturday cool. and just watch the pod race. Like put it before Rise of Skywalker. They just show the pod race to warm everybody up. <laughs> Everyone would love that. I don't think there'd any no one would complain about that if that was like the pre show. It'd be so great. Oh my yeah. god, a pre show. You're so good. And like every show, and could have like a different clip from a different like Star Wars movie as like the pre-show. Ooh, that would keep me coming back. <laughs> like I need another reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like did I get all of them? Did I get to see all of them? Like how many clips are or, there? Or like I just pop in my DVDs at home, but still super cool. It would be awesome. <laughs> just- no, because then like, what if you get to see like the Attack of the Clones, like Sam Wessel so chase oh, on screen again, man. like on the big screen? There should just be a room at Celebration called a random star wars room (laughs) you go and it's constantly just playing like clips on a loop and you go in you don't know what you're gonna get from every corner of the galaxy yeah Mm -hmm. sit down like for a half hour what'd you get i don't know and then you could talk to other friends and every day it's like different so you talk to like your friends like hey did you go in the random star wars room yeah what clips did you get well i got the endor chase from return of the jedi that's awesome 
This is the best idea. I, I want, want that. <laughs> we need. To, who do we talk to to make this? Happen? <laughs> what if you could get like a like a card like a whole like a card punch? You know, too. It's like, oh, you got this one. You got this one. And then, like, if you get all the like all the scenes like on your like, what if it's like a like you spin the wheel Ooh. and then you like get a random one? You know what I mean? And if like you're lucky enough to get like all of them, then like you get a prize. But if you're lucky enough to get all of them, you already got the prize. True. Okay, but what if it's like an exclusive like a pin set or something? Like a real prize. You could have it on the app where you could vote every day and then at like half hour before celebration closed, the winner of the vote would be played. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you could like vote for the like the random thing next for the next day, but you like they it doesn't show you like percentages, so you like have to go to the random Star Wars room and like see what won the poll. <laughs> Very. We've got lots of ideas. We're ready. <laughs> We're ready. Yeah, yeah. We're ready for Anaheim. <laughs> We're gonna be yeah, on yes. the planning yeah. committee. <laughs> okay, so because you guys said pod race, my next favorite thing is the quote. Jar Jar is the key to all of this. If we get Jar Jar working, <laughs> mm-hmm. I love it. It's so good. And it's also like, I think that we can laugh at it, but I also think that we can think that that it, it is true. Like if Jar Jar working was the key to the Phantom Menace, like coming together fully just because of all the new technology that they were pushing on this movie and Jar Jar being one of the first, if not the first motion capture um, characters ever animated on screen, I feel like is so important in the fact that they were able to to make Jar Jar believable and like a fully functioning character that so many people love is so it's such a, like a testament to the Phantom Menace's success, in my opinion. And I look at this quote and I'm like, honestly, George, you're so right. Like, if they do get Jar Jar working, this will change technology forever in in film. Like, it literally reflects today. Mm-hmm. Well, what I think is great is even people that don't like the character, mm-hmm. I feel like they don't like the character. They don't, like, he's real enough to them that they don't like the character. It's not that... Exactly. He's fake or he's CG. It's just like, I don't like that mm-hmm. character. And they don't think about that, that they don't exist. And they are this completely hmm. thing that was, you know, willed into existence by ILM and, and all their hard work that, you know, he works so well that people either love him or hate him on his. Absolutely. Like a reaction own. is formed from him and therefore he is successful. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. It's like people don't point to Jar Jar and are like, I don't like him because he doesn't look good. Like, if they're going to dislike him, it's like, oh, I don't like the character. Whereas, it's like, the technology still stands up and the technology is a testament for what they were able to achieve with that character. And then, like you said, like, moving forward, like, the reason we can have Maz Kanata and Snoke be as amazing as they are is because of the ground that was laid with Jar Jar. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, it was it was so great, this experiencing, like, especially in Chicago with the the welcome Ahmed best got at the 20th anniversary panel. And when he came out for the star mm-hmm. Wars show and the, the Jar Jar Renaissance that we're living in right now, where the prequel generation, the, the like, like we were saying early in the episode, like for those, for the people that grew up with the prequels and now are in their twenties. And a lot of those people are the ones doing blogs and creating podcasts and, they love Jar Jar. They grew up mm-hmm. with Jar Jar. And 
that's the best thing ever because we even we knew when we loved Jar Jar that this day would come, you know, <laughs> and, here. and here it is, and it's yeah. fantastic. And you know, we had been to celebrations in the past where you'd see like the person walking around like Darth Vader holding Jar Jar's head or like a Boba Fett with Jar Jar's head or something, and it's like, oh come on, you know, it just. Mm-hmm. that's not celebration. That's not what we're doing here. And there was not one bit mm-hmm. of that in Chicago because we are, we're in the Jar Jar Renaissance. And we are at the Jar Jar sauce. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Binks sauce. trying to try to think of something new. <laughs> no. <laughs> the Jar Jar Renaissance. It works. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best option right now. <laughs> okay. So what is your next favorite thing from the Phantom Menace? Well, specifically for me, it's the uh, the vulture droids, the flying ones that walk around. Um, but tied in with that is just battle droids in general. That that was another thing that was new to Phantom Menace and new to the Star Wars universe was this idea of you know the new stormtroopers were going to be robots, and they weren't these horribly scary, terrifying robots. They were kind of these bumbling goofy robots that in some ways are actually more terrifying because they're still trying to kill you, but they're kind of cracking jokes while they're doing it. (laughs) Um, And again, it was one of those things too, where it was, it was not, I think visually a design that people were expecting, but now, you know, 20 years later, they're iconic and classic. And I mean, they're just, you look at them and it looks like something that star Wars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The design of them is so, like you're right, it's like it's so indicative of the prequels, and they're they are iconic and they're instantly recognizable, just like the stormtroopers are. And so much of that goes back to Doug Chang, and I mm-hmm. don't think we've mentioned him this episode, but like him basically reinventing the wheel and like working so hard, and the whole art department. Uh, it's not just Doug Chang um, to like basically change what Star Wars even looks like, but keep it grounded in. <laughs> that we could recognize it as Star Wars. It's just, it's so incredible. And I don't know, did you guys get to go to his panel in at Celebration? We missed it, but I've watched it on YouTube. Me too, me too. Mm-hmm. We weren't able to go to it, but it's on YouTube. And it was so good. I was like blown away by all the things that he mentioned and like what I can't even, I, off the top of my head right now, just in this moment, I can't like remember specifics, but I highly recommend it. I'll also put it in the show notes because it was so good. And to hear what he, his whole thought process and everything, so brilliant. He just has like such a calming, bright presence. Yes. Like you just feel like good and at ease whenever he's talking. <laughs> so true. If I ever have bad news, I want Doug Chang to deliver my bad news to me. (laughs) I think it's going to be okay. (laughs) And you're like, yes, thank you, Doug Chang. (laughs) I think you're right. (laughs) But, I mean, that is true, though. It's like a lot of times, you know, just because someone's – you're not always successful because you're the best at something. And he is a superbly talented artist. But I think that demeanor and personality has got to be part of why he's been so successful too, that he can be in these stressful situations and, you know, come up with things and and communicate in a way that, yeah, puts you at ease. And I'm sure when he works with people, they're like, Oh, okay. I'm, I'm calm and comfortable now because you know, you're explaining this and Oh yeah, it's all going to work out. So yeah, it's been, just seems like a great guy. 
He really does. Like, I need more content from Doug Chang, honestly. <laughs> and the, the one neat thing with the battle droids, too, is the the life they've had beyond the prequel trilogy, where in Clone Wars and then in, like, Freemaker Adventures and mm-hmm. how yeah. they have been so much more comedic. And a lot of that with Matt Woods uh, kind of taking over the voices of the battle droids, where... They're just straight up goofy now, and I don't know. I could I could watch a whole goofy battle droids TV show, which there was was that that Freemaker spinoff thing with uh, Roger the Droids mm-hmm. biography. <laughs> he was writing that so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Oh gosh, there's so much of the Freemakers I need to catch up on. I've only seen like just a very small portion of it, but it's- yeah. So entertaining. We're in the same boat. I actually gave Jason a flash drive at Celebration with some Freemakers on it so we can get (laughs) caught up and and do an episode at some point. I love that. Okay, so my next favorite thing about The Phantom Menace is kind of in a comedic vein as well. I personally love that we got Weird Al's The Song of Begins, (laughs) Anakin Guy, out of this film. Like, I think I've, I've said this a couple times, but like I did not understand what was going on in the Phantom Menace the first couple times I saw it. I was like, "What are they? What are they literally talking about?" Like I'm a little lost here. But this song, it like broke it down for me. <laughs> it <laughs> saved you. I got it. <laughs> it really did, and it's so funny because I there's this um, fan video of it that Charlotte and I that like I made Charlotte watch with me of this song, like basically explaining the fan, the plot of the Phantom Menace to like my 13 year old self who didn't get it. And anytime it comes on, I like still see all of the images. Like it was like a clip slideshow <laughs> set to this song. And like <laughs> the part when it says like Qui-Gon's here, but now he's toast. Like they show a picture of toast. <laughs> like actual toast. And like anytime I hear the song now, I think of actual toast. And like I don't know. It's just like it's a really like bright spot in my early fandom. <laughs> Of, like, listening to this song and, like, remembering all of the, like, places, like, the names of the places that they were and, like, all the character names and, like, what they were actually doing and, like, why they were going from place to place. Because I feel like sometimes that would get lost for me when I was first watching this film. And I just, like, (laughs) I really like it and I'm glad we have it. (laughs) It was so fun at Celebration at the at the Phantom Menace mm-hmm. panel right before it, everyone sang the song and it was like so magical. <laughs> it was so great. I know for, for Gabe and I, it took us back because I, we, I don't know, we, we went to, I think the opening celebrations two and three in Indianapolis, like for some reason, the opening ceremony was something where I think it was like the closing ceremony at newer celebrations where people think it's going to be a big deal <laughs> and something major is going to happen, but nothing ever did. But we got, I think we got hooked into going to the opening ceremonies for both celebration two and three. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> and it was usually like just Steve Sansweet up on stage saying, welcome to celebration. But then at each one, it always ended in a rousing sing-along of, Hey, yes. hey, Mr. Anakin guy. And Captain Panaka was, or no, I mean, uh, Captain Typho was singing it, right? It was, uh, <laughs> what? It was that, that actor. I always You're forget like his name, Jay. Jay, yeah, Jay Lagaya. Jay, or, yeah, yeah, he was the, like, the MC, and he was on stage singing along with everybody. <laughs> yes. That's amazing. Yeah. 
yes. But I, I so it's so it's interesting. So for the longest time, I associated that song with being disappointed that we're not actually. <laughs> Because there were always rumors that, like, at the opening ceremony, they're going to show this, and they're going to show you a clip from episode three, and that that never happened. It was just, but it's just it was it was just Steve Sansweet running through, and you can go to the diorama builders, and you can do this, and it's like we already know this, Steve. But then they play that song, and I remember you and I were usually sitting there, like we waited in line for four hours for this. Yeah, but that's true. I'm not singing. Fast forward to 2019, yeah, and before that 20th anniversary panel, and they turned the lights down, and all the lightsabers were out, and it was perfect. So that song is back in the good book for me. I'm definitely gonna watch the and video to, after. To, yeah. I'll have to see if that fan video is still around and send it to you. One of my favorite things about that fan video is when they say small fry, they have a picture of a large fry and then a small fry next to it, and they (laughs) point to the small fry. (laughs) 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 Like, they have to be specific about the small fry. (laughs) Perfect. And then they also have one where it's like the part where – it's like because because Queen Anadol Anadol wanted to go home. Amidala wanted to go home, and they have a picture of Padme pouting, pouting with like a speech bubble above her that says, "I want to go home." <laughs> Perfect. Like, really helped you understand. <laughs> yeah. It really did. Like, I was gonna say, I needed it. I needed it, and it was there for me. And it saved you. I'm glad. It said. <laughs> Okay, so I think this is it. I think this is your last favorite thing about the Phantom Menace for you guys. Yeah, I th- yeah. So our, our our last one, and this is a pretty this is a broad one, but I think this kind of sums it up. Um, and it's something we kind of danced around in other ones that we said, but just how very different it was, mm-hmm. and what a bold choice that was for it to be. So different. It's still so Star Wars, but still to take such a chance to be so visually different in terms of the look. Um, and how many new things it introduced into the the Star Wars lore that at the time were brand new and totally different. Yeah, well, and I think that's one of the reasons I think as the years go by, too, that I continue to love phantom menace more and more because it is like because it is so different i think it stands out from the other movies more and it because it's kind of its own thing it's always kind of a joy to go back to because i mean even remember when it came out like liking the movie but thinking oh i can't wait till you know the next one and there's more like space battles or or that sort of stuff and now going back and it's like you know the high point really is like it's a a a car race almost right but it's like it still feels so star wars and so much fun that um, I'm really glad that it yeah it took all those risks and and gave us something that we didn't know that we wanted um, instead of giving us what we thought we wanted. Mm-hmm. Well, even introduce. I remember sitting in the theater and even like it was the first time we had ever heard right the the thing like the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. And I remember sitting in the theater being like, mm-hmm. "What are they talking about?" But I. You know, this is ex- it, it. It expanded the universe and the way of thinking about this crazy space saga in such big ways mm-hmm. um, that it was 
just so incredibly awesome and just enriched everything that came before it and after it. It was a real turning point for the Star Wars saga. And Yeah, I think you're so right. I mean, I don't have that experience of sitting in the theater and having the original trilogy behind me in this, you know, obsessive way. But I, I do. I don't mean that negatively. I really like no. wish that I had that behind me when I was getting sounded a little in, negative. In, I, no, I mean like I, I really find it fascinating because I think that you hit the nail on the head. Why I like the prequels, perhaps sometimes more than the original trilogy, in that it, in the Phantom Menace specifically, in that it totally expanded the lore and it it brought up things like the the prophecy of the chosen one and it just like it underscored themes and in concepts and it brought in so many new characters and ideas and you know the the idea of even like gray and the light side and the dark side it just like it completely expanded upon almost what has become like the, the simple the simpleness of the original trilogy is what the prequel trilogy has now like completely blown out of the water and i think that's why i completely responded to the prequels just because they were so deep and so fascinating and you could take so much from them and i you have to thank the phantom menace for that for starting all of that and just like I, i'm so thankful that we can look back 20 years later on it and know that I that that is so beloved by like you said so many fans and this generation is growing up and uh, speaking about how good the Phantom Menace is it's just fantastic it's perfect Mm -hmm. well it had such a hard job to do I mean not only coming back but coming back to a story where everyone knew where it was headed and the fact that it, it was like, okay, this is the story of Anakin Skywalker and how he becomes Darth Vader. And that's everything everyone – like you knew the the big beats, like the big story beats that were coming in. And the fact that they took it even a step further, like taking a story that you kind of knew but putting it in a time and a place and visually and even musically completely different from anything that had ever been experienced yet in the Star Wars world. I think – I mean it's just it's, – it's really an incredible feat everything they were able to accomplish with that film and the things that set up that have come to define Star Wars for so many people now. Um, it really is incredible. And it, it's only getting better with time, honestly. Definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my last one is smaller, definitely on a smaller scale than what you guys brought up. But one of my favorite things about The Phantom Menace is, of course, Anakin's story, but specifically the fact that The Phantom Menace establishes that Anakin loves to fix things. I know that sounds really small, but I do think that it's just so perfect for his character that he's always on this quest to, he loves to fix things. He always found himself, he thinks he's good at fixing things. And that's just always almost his detriment in, not almost, it is his detriment in Revenge of the Sith when he tries to fix his relationship. He tries to fix Padme's future. He tries to fix his own future. And it's just, he's like almost over fixing things. And I love that it was established in The Phantom Menace just by this small, small, um, character trait that he is so good at tinkering with tools and he created c-3po and just i also love that in the phantom menace it comes from the generosity of his heart like he built c-3po to help mom i think that line is just so sweet and it's just so perfect because it's again goes to anakin's own innocence and um 
how young he is and how his heart is so filled with love. And I just, I really, I just, I, I keep going back to this. I love the fact that George added this character trait for Anakin, which I don't think is necessarily needed, but it really does add so much to who I consider Anakin to be in the prequels. I can't believe you found a way to bring C-3PO in. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you think it's the sweetest thing ever, though, that he built it to help mom? Like, it's so sweet. Yeah, except he built (laughs) C-3PO. Come on, Caitlin. (laughs) The intention was good. The execution. (laughs) But no, yeah, I I think you're right. Um, That trait of his and how it works to his detriment later on. Like, he he wants to fix the future. Um, and that ends up working against him. But when he's a child, like we see in The Phantom Menace, it's this really like cute and he's intelligent and it's it's a sign that he has the force with him and lots of midichlorians and all that good stuff. Um, but that'll kind of end up being his undoing as he gets further down the line. It's kind of cool how like that trait that started off really innocent and pure could be manipulated and used against him in Revenge of the Sith. Mm-hmm. And even the end of Return of the Jedi, ultimately he's the one that fixes the problem. Absolutely. That was started. And I don't know how much, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think George Lucas missed a beat sometimes, but he, he, you know, he, he fixed that problem. And I, in our Palpatine episode, we thought, you know, if, if anyone is going to talk to Ben Solo and tell him the, the truth, it would be pretty cool if that was I totally Anakin. Agree. I, I agree. And that's has to be st- <laughs> still be a fixing kind of situation in there. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I love it. It's I think one of my favorite. It is. It's the last thing I put here. It's like truly one of my favorite things about the Phantom Menace that it establishes Anakin as this kind of person. It's great. Okay. So we have reached the end of our respective lists, and now it is time for perhaps the most important question when we have guests on Sky Talkers. Um, if you're new to the podcast, we have this game that Charlotte and I have been playing for many a year, which is called the Star Wars Dinner Party. <laughs> and basically, it grew out of Charlotte and I looking for new things to talk about, <laughs> when mainly when we were driving around. Um, and we basically had this idea that if you could have five people come to your own Star Wars dinner party, be it actors, characters, people behind the scenes, authors, anyone and everyone related to the Star Wars world, fictional and non-fictional, alive or not, who would it be? And you want to keep in mind good conversation, what your goals are for the dinner. Like, are you just there for a good time? Do you want to find out intel on upcoming films or books or whatever it is? Who are you going to bring to your Star Wars dinner party? And now whenever we have guests on the show, we always ask them who they would bring to their Star Wars dinner party. So Jason and Gabe, we want to know who would you bring to your Star Wars dinner party? Gabe, go ahead. Do you got anything? I do. And uh, I think this is somewhat inspired by our next blast points episode actually that kind of solidified this is first of all it would it would have to have carrie fisher there mm-hmm. and george lucas would have to be there those two together mm-hmm. and i would just let them talk to each other and then while they're talking to each other i think i would want to have ryan johnson there mm-hmm. and i think ben burt mm-hmm. 
Ben hasn't been invited to a dinner yet. No, he hasn't. And his wife makes good mac and cheese. That's that's how he got squishy Jabba. Um, So, yeah, I think that would be my dinner party. I would talk to Ben Burt and Ryan Johnson while I just watched Carrie Fisher talk to George Lucas, I think. Wait, you have one more spot. I have to one more person? Oh, who else would it be? Is it Ben Burt's wife so she can bring mac and cheese? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. (laughs) It doesn't have to be. (laughs) No, it does. It does. Because, yeah, because I would ask Ben Bird about the mac and cheese and, and then he could be like, well, here's my wife and she brought some. <laughs> Maybe you're having dinner at Ben Bird's house. Man, and his you're good at making- this. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've done this before. <laughs> yes. yes. I would pick up Brian Johnson and George Lucas and Carrie Fisher and we would drive over to Ben Bird's house where his wife would make us mac and cheese. And it would be the best dinner party. <laughs> That sounds yeah, good. That's a great one. I'm for it. it sounds like super casual and like homey, mm-hmm. you know, and like chill. Like I feel like everyone would just feel really comfortable and just like relax with Carrie Fisher there. And she would just like – she would be like holding court and it would be great. And she'd be embarrassing George Lucas, but it would be like really fun, you know? Yeah, I'm going to agree with – yeah, definitely George Lucas and Carrie Fisher because that conversation is pure magic. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna insert Rick McCallum into this dinner party oh. for I, th- I see what I imagine is we're gonna sit down and we're gonna have a really good dinner and we're gonna we're gonna listen to George and Carrie. I don't know who else is coming. I'm going to get, but afterwards, I imagine we're like going to go into another room and maybe there'll be like after dinner drinks or something. And this is when McCallum's going to take over. And things are going to start getting, we don't know. It's going to be unpredictable. Yeah. Is is there any footage of Carrie Fisher and Rick McCollum talking to Ooh, each other? That wow. would be, that's a Broadway show. <laughs> or, or would any, any cameras in the room immediately have exploded from trying to get, to get the two of them together on film? It's too amazing. Wow. Uh, maybe I'll invite Dave Filoni because I can just imagine him watching all this go down and just laughing. So maybe I could just look at him and laugh and just gauge. <laughs> Filoni would be a good one to just to look at and be like, can I laugh now? Is this funny? Is this, I don't want to get kicked out. It's like watching the beginning because it's like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. Yes. Um, okay. So that's my fourth, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. I really like the idea of Ryan Johnson just because I feel like he, I have no idea what he would ever say. He just you seems know, like he'd be fun to talk about Star Wars with. I feel like the the Dave and Rick combo is a really interesting one mm-hmm. that I haven't thought too much about as far as my like director creator headcanon go. And like that with Carrie Fisher in the mix is really interesting to me. It's funny because we we always talk about how you guys are kind of like our podcast twins, and Charlotte and I tend to have like very creator heavy Sky Talkers dinner parties ourselves, so and you guys. you guys do too. <laughs> yeah, yeah and like. Most of the guests that come on our show do – most of them do, like, a lot of characters, um, honestly. And then, of course, like, you guys being our twins, you're like, yes, Dave Filoni, like Brian Johnson. Like, both of your dinners are, like, very <laughs> You're like, ha- Carrie has to be there. And I'm like, I've said that every year. <laughs> Carrie has to be there. Yeah. <laughs> I was just looking around and, my, and I saw a poster and I just thought – I had a lot of candidates for the last person. But I'm going to pick Donald Glover. Ah, good pick. 
Because he also, I think, would... I, he's the wild card mm-hmm. where he could mix with Carrie. He could rick, mix with McCallum. He could work yeah. the room and he'd be the coolest person there. I don't maybe maybe more cool than Rick McCallum or Carrie Fisher, George Lucas. Maybe. I don't know. But Don McCallum and Donald Glover. Like yeah. I, the, the, the Rick is the real wild card here. I, I think. also think Donald Glover <laughs> would probably bring his own pizza. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the after dinner, if we're still talking at two, three in the morning, and if someone says, you know what we need right now? Pizza. Donald Glover would be on top. He's like already it. dialing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Like Rick McCallum would be like, oh, I have some pizza bites in the freezer. But Donald Glover would be like, oh, I've already ordered the pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> That's the Donald difference <laughs> with Donald Glover. Well, these are excellent dinners. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I want to come. Oh, yeah, for sure. No one's inviting Adam, Adam Driver, though. Like, <laughs> is Adam Driver coming to your dinner? <laughs> what would happen I actually there? don't remember, Keelan. Is Adam in my dinner? I don't think Adam is in your most recent either. dinner. My most recent <laughs> dinner was the first time I've ever invited characters. So that was, like, a big thing for me personally. Um, but, no, I don't think Adam was in – I think we usually – I think we usually go for, like – John yeah. Boyega, because mm-hmm. um, we usually have we both usually have Dave and Ryan, and then usually Carrie as well, and then it's usually like a toss up between like some combination of actors, whether it's like Natalie or it's John and Daisy. But I don't think we've invited Adam. I think because I don't know if like Adam we'd be just, able to like yeah, function. Same. and like Adam <laughs> yeah. just also a lot of the the objective often is to like pull secrets too and mm-hmm. adam just is so tight-lipped i'd really like to to yeah. dive into his headspace for kylo ren and ben solo but i just feel like it's not going to happen like he's a close book. maybe like maybe maybe in our 2020 sky talkers dinner party because like at that point his story will yeah. be done so then maybe then it'd be a good time to mm-hmm. invite him um but my last dinner party i had dave ryan and then kaz from resistance and count dooku which is like a personal <laughs> favorite combo on like I think I'm going to keep this dinner party for forever. And then I can't remember who the fifth person was. Um, but I really just wanted to like watch fan videos with Ryan Johnson and see Count Dooku and Kaz make them sit next to each other at dinner and like, I, see what happened. I, I, I'm never going to be able to get that image out of my head now. That's perfect. Right? Yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. Yes. <laughs> Makes me really happy. That's a party. That's a party. Kaz is going to like spill soup on Count Dooku's cape or something. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. It, and also, it like was specifically Pajama Dooku. It was I think, Pajama Dooku. Well. I forgot. It <laughs> <laughs> was really good. It was really good. These are great dinners. Um, so if you haven't told us yet who you would like to bring to your Sky Talkers dinner party, please do. Um, you can find us online at skytalkers.com or on Twitter at skytalkerspod or our personal handles at Caitlin Plusher is mine and at Clarity is Charlotte's. But we want to give a big thank you to Jason and Gabe for spending time with us talking all about The Phantom Menace. This was honestly so much fun and we we're so excited to finally have you on the show. But before we sign out, where can people find you guys online? You can find us on BlastPointsPodcast.com, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. What is our Instagram and Twitter address, Jason? 
Twitter Twitter is blast underscore points and uh, Instagram. If you search blast points, I think we're the only thing on there. I think so. Nice. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming. It It was the best to have you on. I I actually wish you could come on like every year. That would be great. Well, Let's, let's do, do it. it. Like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. yeah let's yeah. do it. Let's, let's make it happen. Yeah. Let's make <laughs> yeah. it a yearly tradition. Yes. Yes. Yay. And next time it can be all about like, well, well, no, I was going to say it can be all about the anniversary for Attack of the Clones, but that'll be like a couple more years before they have like a big anniversary. So we'll just think of something new for next year. Well, what did we decide this next year's the anniversary for the Battle for Endor, isn't it? 35th anniversary of Battle for Endor. <laughs> <laughs> And it's, it's Empire Strikes Back, and so this oh, there's, yeah, a lot, yeah. there's a lot. I feel to like celebrate we were just okay, celebrated. So- by the way, I feel like we just celebrated the anniversary for Empire Strikes Back. Like we did. It was yeah, I just it feels so recent. I'm excited to celebrate it again, but like I like celebrating Battlefront a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope we're not giving away any of our secrets for long range plans. But, yeah. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And I just want to thank our patrons. Jason, Joey, James, Kathy G, Kate, Nathan, Sam, Bailey, Eric, Kelly, Amy, Neil, Mary, Larry, James, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Courtney, Brian, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, Ada, Liz, Christian, Kimberly, Nicole, Jonathan, Rachel, Aaron, Unspeakable, Brooke, Rebecca, Kathy, Katie, I, Rebel, Kimberly, Gina, Ewan, Donnie, Vundacast Productions, Christian, Adam, Megan, Courtney, Centara, Thomas, John, D- Dominic, Megan, Kate, Matthew, Fernanda, Chell, Manny, David, Claudia, Kate, Brooklyn, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lump of Aru, Patrick, James, Hamsa, From a Certain Point of View, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stuart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kells, Chastity, Alaya, Travis, Katie, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Allie, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Molly, Caitlin, Rebecca, Helly, Scott, BJ, Casey, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, The Clashing Sabres Podcast, and Chuck. Thank you all so much for supporting us. Well, thank you guys again for coming on. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.